All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, I am thrilled to welcome to the Bizzlecast Lara Katana, entrepreneur, businesswoman, professional globetrotter, global arts and cultural hub, musical tastemaker, and now managing the hottest music and arts collective in Cuba today called Guampara. And just as importantly, Lara is a longtime friend of mine from back in the college days at Wesleyan University. So before we get going, Lara, say hi to the Bizzlecast audience. What up, Bizzlecast? Hello. So awesome to have you on. Um, and uh, we connected on this project of hers from Cuba recently. Um, it was a great excuse for up to a uh, great excuse for us to catch up. We're going to tell you all about Guampara and the other amazing work she's doing and has done. But before we get started, Lara, if you could just give the Bizzlecast listeners a quick tease about Guampara and uh, what it is and your involvement in it, and just you know maybe like uh, some social media they can check it out, and then we're going to dive back into it later on in the podcast. But give us a little tease. Yeah, Guampara is this amazing arts collective um, based out of Cuba that I've started working with and and am now managing. Um, they make music and they make short films. And Guampara is the first independent urban music label in Cuba under which there are five um, artists. And in addition to being a music label, they also have some really great short films and documentaries that they make, um, mostly focusing on music in Cuba. Amazing. And Lara is working very hard and diligently to bring um, parts of this collective to the United States soon and in force. So where can we stay apprised of, of updates for the future, but also check out like videos, photos, like that sort of stuff? Um, you know, the best place probably to look is on Facebook, on the Guampara Productions uh, Facebook page. We post uh, videos from our YouTube channel and links from to our Instagram account as well. So that's probably your central hub would be Guampara Productions on Facebook. Awesome. Well, it's not going to be the last you hear of it. We're going to dive in um, to the podcast now. Um, but first, a little bit about Lara and some perspective about, about how we know each other and so forth. So Lara is truly a global citizen in heart, experience, and background. Uh, her dad was from Israel via Romania, her mom from Curacao via Poland, and her mom also happened to be a fabulous Brazilian singer for many years based in New York City, where Lara grew up and which is still her home base when she's not trotting the globe, which is most of the time. So just to give a little perspective about how we came to know, uh, know one another and our shared interests, um, Laura was two years below me at Wesleyan University. I graduated 2005. I was a philosophy major. She graduated in 2007, was a cultural anthropology major, but music was a major part of our lives, both in and out of the classroom in college. And the mutual involvement of our various friends in college within the global music scene there brought our groups together, which led to tons of collaborations and many good times over the years. Now, I only recently found out about Laura's new project out of Cuba, Guampara, but I jumped on on board immediately when I learned and experienced more about it. Now, Laura and I have never worked directly together on a project like this until recently when I found out about said new hotness that she's bringing out of Cuba, and which um, I hope to support however I can. She is working tirelessly to bring to the United States this amazing Cuban arts collective, a spectacular, fascinating, and different and exciting organization that involves cutting-edge Cuban filmmaking, music, dancing, and more, and we are going to get you as a excited about this as we are. So, Lara, while this is our first official project together, I think it's safe to say that we have always shared a passion for music and culture from Africa and the African diaspora, Central and South America, as well as the Caribbean since, you know, the, the Wesleyan days and even earlier. Uh, would you agree for with sure. that? Oh, definitely. Oh, man, this goes way back. I have memories from 
from very long ago, even before we finished Wesleyan, of just, you know, weird world music events that, that yes, we definitely found ourselves in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a perfect spot, and, you know, I know because of, you know, your mom's interest in music, I mean, she's, you know, from Curacao, um, but interest in Brazilian music, I'm sure you had access to a lot of the stuff at sort of a, a much earlier age than sort of most kids do, right? Yeah, the funny thing is that I didn't really, looking back, I realized I've been listening to, you know, what we call world music my entire life. That's always yeah. been the soundtrack of my childhood is, you know, Juan Luis Guerra, like, you know, Dominican, Caribbean music, Brazilian music, even like some Israeli and Turkish music that my dad used to listen to. Um, I only started calling that world music, I guess, honestly, once I got to Wesleyan and realized, oh, okay, there's this whole genre of of music from over the, like all over the world. And, and okay, this is what we're going to call it. But yeah, I definitely grew up listening to not a lot of American music at all. I missed a lot of the essentials. Like, I don't even think I ever heard the Rolling Stones until somebody push that on me in college maybe <laughs> interesting interesting yeah. yeah yeah i mean for me um just really quickly I, I i grew up with the rolling stones and you too and led zeppelin and so forth but i also grew up with ali farcatore because my dad is a total blues nut right. um and so he was giving me ali, Far- uh, ali farcatore uh, uh cds and, and related music when i was a teenager again like you said not realizing this whole world music thing which we might get to later that whole terminology is problematic a little bit totally. towards what we're trying to accomplish accomplish um so we'll table that for a little bit down the road i also um spent a year in israel uh, living and working and traveling before college and israel is really the ultimate melting pot of cultures from around the world and totally. it was there that i got into african music more and brazilian music and especially middle eastern music um and uh you know th- that's what really seeded it uh, um for me um now we're, we're gonna get back to guampara really soon i just want to see a little bit of of your early bio and then we'll get it back later. Did you know when you went to Wesleyan that like one of the reasons that you wanted to go was because of the sort of the ethnomusicology program and just scene in general? Not at all. It's, it's really? Quite, not at all. To be honest, the funny thing about me and Wesleyan, so I went to a high school called Hunter High School, which oh, yeah. was like a, a very, you know, fed a lot of kids into Wesleyan and it was a very typical jump to go from Hunter to Wesleyan, right? Okay, Lin-Manuel Miranda being the most famous example of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We all take credit for him. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, right. So I went to the same high school as him also. So when I first started looking at colleges, my mom, of all people, from day one was just like, I really think that you should look into Wesleyan. I think it'd be a good fit. (laughs) And I was like, hell no, absolutely not. Because so many girls, this I swear to God, so many people a, co- a year older than me, a couple of year old, years older than me that I just felt had been like chasing me around my entire social life of high school. I was like, I don't want to go to college with those people. I want to go somewhere. I wanted to go to California. I wanted to go somewhere totally far away to start completely fresh. And I refused to look at Wesleyan until for some reason, my best friend from high school, Liz, wanted to go and look at Wesleyan. She was a total opposite. She was convinced that that's where she wanted to go from day one. And hmm. she's like, let's go. And I had a car. I knew how to drive. So our senior year of high school, we drove up to Wesleyan. And the strangest thing is we only spent one night there. Barely saw campus. We, like, went to a strange party with a friend at, I think, Sayu or something strange like that. And But even despite a completely mediocre visit, the second I got to Wesleyan, I literally just felt it. I was like, oh, 
okay, totally. this is where I need to go. This is my place. Totally. And I didn't I, I know didn't much know. about it. Yep. Um, so my story about Wesleyan is similar. I applied to a bunch of schools, all of which were bigger than Wesleyan. I, I didn't think I wanted to go to a school that small. Um, and it was sort of last on my list, and I kept uh, eliminating schools. And Wesleyan was the last one. I went up for a second visit with a camp buddy of mine. You know, I went to you know Jewish summer camp through high school. Right, right. I went up to uh, with a camp buddy of mine, and he was living in Wesco. And we all know what goes on <laughs> in Wesco. Right. <laughs> and well, let's just say the cultural life there was, was very appealing, and I just felt <laughs> kind of at home. I was like, I could already tell that it was a little small, and maybe by senior year, I would be a little constricted. I don't know if Right. found that but, but i was like it, it's worth that you know because i just I, I i didn't want to have to deal with twenty thousand other people um right and, well was yeah. wasn't for me was big in comparison i mean i came from a high school with that that was it was six years because it was like an, an extended program it was six years with the same kids with a, approximately 150 kids in my graduating class and nobody mm-hmm. new ever came in so for me like the 700 kids per class at wesleyan was big mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and who could have known <laughs> that we would, you know, meet, you know, not just one or two, but a, a whole bundle of close friends um, that we are still friends with. In fact, you were chilling with some of them today on the beach yeah. in New York City. No, um, not for nothing. Whenever I talk about my, like, I, I feel extremely grateful and fortunate to have such an incredible group of human beings that I can call my best friends and my closest friends. And honestly, the Wesleyan, you know, Wesleyan just represents so hard in terms of the people I know who are successful and ambitious and just doing amazing things. Yeah. If, if I could just tell a quick story. So, um, so like I said, Laura's a couple of years below me, but because of our, you know, sort of extended group's interest in all things world, you know, global music, uh, really connected uh, and are still tight today. And some of her friends from college and then their extended friends have a funk band called Kinky Spigot, which mm-hmm. has been playing for a long time and is still playing. I saw recently on Nadav's uh, Facebook page, they're still rocking it which is great they had a gig last night (laughs) and yeah and uh and three and a half years ago my sister and her husband now husband jordan were freaking out over like do we want a band do we want a dj and i sat them down i said look guys i got this covered they're like really i'm like yeah i got this covered they're called kinky spigot it's gonna be amazing and it was like the dance party of the century for most of the people there i mean we still hear stories honestly from family friends and family whenever the wedding comes out about just their ridiculous talent and energy you know they just absolutely killed it during the wedding and you know that's one of the things that i think most people don't necessarily have many many years after college i mean that was what so that's three years ago so that's eight years after i graduated you know what i mean no they're still going and they're they're really amazing like it it, what started i was i mean they started practicing in my basement senior year of of um of college just as like a oh let's just do this for fun and I actually originally played tambourine in the band just nice. really as a way to weasel my way into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you should have been a, a dancer. Tambourine. Yeah. You know, I was a really good tambourine, like hype girl was my official title. <laughs> you're like, you're like uh, Will Ferrell with the cowbell? <laughs> to- exactly. And you know you always want more cowbell. More cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, what they've become, they're, they're really amazing, but they're also, they're, God, we have so many talented musician friends. It, it, like they blow my mind. 
It is really ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, my whole career for years after college was a music company with friends from college. And not only that, but even the people who weren't in the company that we were working with were often contacts from college or friends of friends. And so, I mean, you know, the the most famous at the moment is Lin-Manuel Miranda, which most people know from, um, well, definitely from Hamilton, which is now like... Most people know. Everybody knows Everybody does. He's literally everywhere. Rightfully so. He's a genius, but... uh, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. knows him. <laughs> I know, and the, and the hilarious thing is, I actually did meet him at a couple parties because I had some friends in the theater program who were in his early version of In the Heights that he did at Westland, right. and right. I don't know him well. But when I tell people I, I had met him and, and know him, they're like, "Oh yeah, everybody says that." You know, I'm like, "No, really, <laughs> really, I knew him, I knew him." You know, um, I think he supplanted Joss Whedon. I think J- Joss Whedon was the most famous. Um, well, he's a filmmaker, I suppose, although now Lin Manuel going into film within the heights i guess yeah. uh, and then we're gonna loop back to guampada here and, and your background or guampada sorry and um like what is it about wesleyan like how does it imagine how does it manage to be so sm- relatively small and so involved with arts traditions from all over the world and all different times and yet it is slightly pretentious but it's not nearly as pretentious as no. you would think it would be if that makes sense right I don't find it really to be pretentious. I just oh, my trust me. Other people think it's pretentious. <laughs> okay, well, those are haters. Come on, haters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not into West Ham. I Jealous. don't know. I literally today on the beach with some friends ran in, met some other um, uh, Rob who plays in Mamarazzi. Yes. Um, another Wesleyan kid that I didn't know we just met, and my immediate reaction once he was like, "Oh yeah, I went to Wesleyan also." Immediately, I'm just like. Oh, okay, cool. Like I already uh, automatically know, like we're probably going to get along. There's going to be some, you know, a bunch of things in common. I don't know, man. Wesleyan just attracts a really good bunch of people. Or at least it did in the day. I don't know what happens there now. And and, well, in freshman year uh, in Westco, I like to hang out with a couple guys, Andrew Van Weingarten. Um, and, and another fellow named Ben, who happened to be the guys from MGMT, aka the management. Another story right. that no one believes that I was like studying geology and smoking weed with them when I was a freshman. <laughs> and like, I'm like, it's true. I swear to God, we were listening to Fela Kuti and talking about Afrobeat. Like, it's for real. Um, you know, but even those guys aren't very pretentious. I mean, they're weird hipsters, but they're not so pretentious. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think. I had trouble with sort of the club uh, scene at Wesleyan, you know, <laughs> whether it was like acapella or like the activists, you know, like the whole. Oh, that club scene. Uh, yeah. But but the music yeah. scene wasn't like that. The music scene was like, if you're into it, we'll find a place for you. You know, there, you know, like I was a music writer and I was, a, you know, a curator. I co-ran the World Music Collective, which brought, you know, everyone from RJD2 to Vazen, who's an amazing Scandinavian classical trio, to Wesleyan, um, you know, and find ways to contribute. Um, what was your experience like in college in terms of classes and, and stuff like that? Like what, because you were already into the Brazilian stuff for sure by the time you got there yeah my brazil obsession came like started right actually before i went to wesleyan it's actually i was just telling my sister this story today the whole shout out my, jesse katana yeah shout out <laughs> jesse katana um my whole desire to go to brazil and learn portuguese even though i grew up with so much 
you know, so many Brazilians in my life and hearing so much Portuguese, it wasn't like a conscious, oh, this is what I have to do. And the summer before I went to Wesleyan, I was on vacation with my dad and my sister in, and we, we stopped into a United Colors of Benetton in Milan, mm. Italy. I, I, it's so weird that I remember this because I don't really remember things like this normally. And I heard a song that I was like, oh, what is that? I'm obsessed with it. Asked for the name of the song. As soon as I got back home, went and looked it up. It was the, um, it was a song called Yes Enamorar by Tribalistas, which is this amazing, oh, yes. uh, three very independently uh, successful musicians in Brazil that came together to make this one album. I had a, um, had a lady never... friend from Wesley and give me the tri- Tribalist, Tribalistas oh, album. It was amazing. That song was a, that album was a huge part of my life. But so hearing that song that I loved so much and in the album booklet, they had the lyrics in Portuguese and right next to that, the lyrics in English. Mm. And I just ate that shit up. I was like, oh, I have to learn this. Okay, like, so I, this is a brilliant transition. This is a brilliant transition, <laughs> which is, as I mentioned earlier, you are truly a global citizen in both your background and your approach to the world. So how many languages do you speak? Um, I, now I speak three languages. My my. I've been in the last year and a half really le- actively trying to learn Spanish, um, which I think I can now say is pretty much at the same point as my Portuguese, which was my goal when I set out a year I, and a half ago to well, start I, traveling. I, I have heard that it's easier to go from Portuguese to Spanish rather than the other way around. And as someone who briefly tried to learn some Portuguese before going to Brazil, I found that Portuguese to be extremely difficult. I, I honestly I can't even speak to that because... I grew up in a very linguistic family. My mom speaks eight languages. My dad spoke five languages. My sister, you know, studied Spanish in high school and always did really well, you know, actually learned Spanish, spoke Spanish. Spanish for me in high school was my hardest class. Mm -hmm. It was so difficult for me. And I really think looking back, I just missed something fundamentally very early on about how to learn a language. And for whatever reason, when I first started studying Portuguese at Wesley in my sophomore year, it just clicked. Like, I, it was really weird. It just, I, everything made so much sense to me and it was easy. And the pronunciation was easy, which I think is what's really hard for a lot of people. But I grew up, I, I think I just grew up hearing so much of it. And at that point, I listened to so much Brazilian music that I'm like, oh, yeah, I know how to say João. You know, those weird oh, yeah. nasal sounds that Portuguese had. So for me, it was much, yes, learning, going back and learning Spanish again after having uh, spoken Portuguese at this point for over 10 years, then I would say it wasn't that hard, but. Hmm. Do you think it's possible that because you grew up with so much, you know, bossa nova and other Brazilian music that it sort of seeped into your brain a little bit? Uh, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I feel like in, sometime in your teenage years, it gets harder and harder to learn languages. I mean, I went to Jewish day school from K through eight, and then I didn't use it ever until like f- five or six years later when I lived in Israel. But it took right. me like a month to get fluent once I got to Israel because I had the basics for going back to when I was like five years old. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, which is not, yeah, that, no, that, that, that it's really. Hearing different languages as a young child, I think, is so important, and it really does a- affect how your your ability to learn a language later. But for whatever reason, for me, with Portuguese, I just, I think, understood how to learn a language. Like, mm. you have to stop translating every single word yes. and stop tr- stop trying to understand, really, all of the grammar. Just sure. understand that if I want to ask you know, to go to the bathroom, this is how you say it. And it doesn't really matter why for right now, just know that this is the phrase. This is how you say it. And I, I don't know, that, that thinking like that helped me a lot, I think. 
No, it's sort of like jumping off a cliff into, you know, a big pool of water. And like, you know what I mean? You're like, you're like I could die, but it's probably going to be okay. But the more I think about it, the worse it's going to get. So I should just right. jump. You so, know what I mean? Yeah. So you just got to jump in. Yeah. Just open your mouth and start speaking. And even if it's wrong, you'll figure it out. Okay. So I, I want to start honing in on the Lara Katana story because your story is fascinating. Um, you know, you, you can talk about pre-college life if you want. We can start in college. You know, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, you, your parents were very multicultural themselves. Now, if you, if, if, for the Bizzlecast listeners out there, when you meet Lara, well, the first thing that sends out is her smile. She has an amazing smile. But on top of that, she is so ambiguously ethnic. You literally <laughs> could come up with like 100 plus countries around the world Anything. that she maybe could be from. Anything. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, I mean, you say your mom looks like she's from Poland instead of Curacao. I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, if, really? she, if, yeah, if you told me she was from Brazil, and maybe just because I met her as a singer and, you know, right. like that's how I got to know her. Um, I, through you as a singer. I, I mean, it's just amazing. Go ahead. The reason I say that is only to distinguish, because usually when I say that, oh, my mom is from the Caribbean, people's assumption um, is that she's black or that she's, you know, that she's, my mom is really white, has blue eyes and is really white. Yeah. And people are always surprised to hear that. I'm like, no, 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 my, my mom is definitely white. Yeah. I think part of, part of the ambiguously ethnic and like the big crazy curly hair that I have, I've had so many people ask me and be like, wait, you're not half black or you're not half this, you're not of that. I'm like, no, I'm Well, I'm I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> go into too much of a history lesson here. You know this, but part of what complicates this all is that Dutch Jews have, were actually living in Brazil and near Brazil hundreds and right. hundreds of years ago to escape persecution. Totally. Now I have been to Recife in Northern Brazil. Have you been to Recife? I have. <laughs> you have in Hasifi. Yeah, so, I've, I've done some funny things in Hasifi, including getting married. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll get back to that. Maybe we won't. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I couldn't resist. I couldn't no, resist. No, you should never resist on the Bizzlecast. <laughs> um, this, this is an adult podcast. Uh, you can say whatever you want, you know, explicit lyrics, do whatever you want. But if you go to Hasifi, which is spelled Recife, you know, for those of you out there, R E. Uh, C-I-F-E, I believe. Yeah, parts and, of it look exactly like downtown in Curacao. And Hasifi also has the oldest synagogue in the Western Hemisphere because right. of and, Jewish immigrants who then went to a place called New Amsterdam because that was a Dutch colony which later became New York. Go ahead. It, there's so many similarities between Curacao and, and Brazil. It's absurd. And it's funny how my life has kind of progressed if it's coincidence or not, that I, you know, ended up getting so involved with Brazil and Brazilian culture, because really, w when I did my semester abroad, for example, I, uh, my junior year of Wesleyan, I lived in Salvador in the northeast of Brazil in the state of Bahia. And my first impression of it was just like, wow, I this just feels exactly like yours out of me, except they're hmm. speaking a different language. Well, the Dutch, I believe, controlled Brazil until the Portuguese took it over. Right. right. The Catholic Church kind of divided South America up between the Spanish and the Portuguese, Just who were bit. the, who, yeah, who were the major, um, 
uh, forces in Europe during like the 1500s when all this was getting going. As you know, I, I have studied both formally and informally um, Spain, uh, you know, sort of Muslim Spain leading up to the Inquisition and right. and the supplanting of, uh, of the Muslims with, with the Christians and the rise of Spain and Portugal very briefly to international power. But although it was brief, they certainly left their mark on South America. Um, and- you know what's really interesting also, yeah. sorry, I, no, I can't no, no, resist because I'm a big, you know, anthropology, linguistics dork on the inside. And this is what I wrote actually my senior um, thesis about it, Wesleyan. What's something that's so interesting to me about Curacao that, that really is just, I mean, there's so, it's a very unique island. It stands out for many reasons. What's interesting to me is the language that they speak there, which is called Papiamento. Mm-hmm. Um, linguistically speaking, is classified as a Portuguese-based Creole, which is super interesting because it's one of the only um, islands in which this occurs where the Creole that develops as a product of you know, an island being colonized doesn't take on the language of its colonizers. Um, it should be a Dutch-based Creole. Interesting. Um, so how does that happen? So what's so interesting, the Portuguese influence came from the Portuguese and Spanish-speaking Jewish merchants who were kicked out of Spain and Portugal after the Inquisition. They went to Holland because Holland was neutral and was like, sure, you guys can come and hang out here. And then because Holland at that point had, um, you know, was in Hasifi, the Dutch were in the northeast of Brazil – because the the, Jew, the Jews were involved in trading and whatnot, okay, for them to end up then in Brazil was an easy jump over. And then yeah. from there, the, another Dutch colony, I mean, Curacao is located directly north of Venezuela, so it's really close to South America. Um, it's the southernmost part of the Caribbean. It's closer to, to Caracas than it is to, you know, Miami, than to Cuba. Um, mm. So... It's, so that, and, and so with the influence of the Portuguese-speaking merchants... And the West African slaves, because Curacao used to be a, a pretty big slave post, um, a slave trading post, those two minority groups, the Jewish merchants and the West African slaves, ended up having just such a big cultural influence on the, on the, on the island there that the, the language that developed was Portuguese-based. Wow. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. You think of New York Jews as being all from Eastern Europe. But the bottom line is the first Jews that were in the New World in America were, you know, Jews who were of mixed, you know, Portuguese, Dutch, Spanish descent from South America who came to to New Amsterdam. It's really crazy to untangle. Um, So how do you see you you among this whole, you know, (laughs) ethnic and cultural, religious, you know, melange that's going on? You know, to be honest, I think that my sister and I grew up really, really confused. And only, (laughs) like... Join join the club. Yeah, sorry. Right. But only in the last, like, I'd say probably even five to ten years have I, like, really as an adult grown to like understand and accept and just like, you know, I, 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 I love this big mix of random cultures and places that have come together and, 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 you know, I'm a product of all of that, but it was really confusing growing up. Nobody knew what Curacao was growing up. Most people still don't know what it is or where it is or anything about it today. So Mm. explaining that like, like, you know, my sister and I grew up more with my mom's culture than anything. I mean, you know, we just, I honestly grew up thinking that my dad was more Israeli than Romanian because he didn't really talk much about Romania. You know, he spent until his young 20s in Romania, a big chunk of his life. But it was, I think, really traumatizing. And I don't know, he, he never really spoke about it. So 
I well, always and I, just, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I had no idea his Romanian background until you and I got to know each other better because yeah. you look Israeli. I mean, Laura looks Israeli, which... Oh, I know. You know the only place uh, in the world I don't stand out is in Israel where I look like <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you, have, so you have one parent coming from Eastern Europe going to a Mediterranean country and then you have another parent from Eastern Europe going to... A, is that consi- that's not even considered the Caribbean. What's that whole? Yeah, is this considered the Caribbean curse? Okay. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, the Southern Caribbean. Yeah, they're called the Netherlands Antilles, but it's totally Caribbean culture. But then on top of all of that, I'm Jewish. Both my parents are Jewish, so you know, tribe. Up, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. But like, you know, I didn't grow up with any religion whatsoever. I didn't have a bat mitzvah. I didn't do any of that. For us, it was just a really cultural thing. But you know, having two parents from two really unknown places with such different cultures and then growing up in New York, it was confusing. Absolutely. So, okay. So I want to work towards your, 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 your current work with Guampara here. Cause it's fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, just really quickly, Bizzlecast listeners, I've tried to talk a little bit about my music business experience just because I have it in, you know, almost 60 podcasts. I've barely talked about it. So I'm trying to what? talk about it a little bit more. You have a ton more. of it. I know, but, you know, it's like I'm talking about nerd stuff or philosophy or interviews with my friends. It just doesn't come up very often, you know. Um, but, you know, <laughs> the bottom line is, you know, this is something that you sort of have to be exposed to at some point. Like I talked about, you know, with my dad giving me, you know, West African blues records and then living in Israel and then going to a school like Wesleyan, which has such an amazing, you know, global music, dance, theater, et cetera, uh, presence. You grew up with, with a mother who was very musical, but didn't really engage that part of her life uh, until kind of later on in your childhood, right? Can you talk a little bit about that and how that influenced you? Yeah, well, my parents got divorced when I was 13, right? When I was starting a new, I started going to Hunter and my mom all of a sudden, you know, mind you, growing up, we, there was always music. My mom loved to dance, you know, like my mom would, you know, I have like memories of like, you know, her trying to teach me how to dance salsa or merengue or something in Curacao when we were younger. But, um, that was just kind of it. Music was just a passion. But after my parents got divorced, my mom started, um, singing, and she took voice lessons and she started playing percussion and then just started this whole, you know, side career because she always still had, a, you know, a day job, but of being, she, she started being a singer and a percussionist and, and started singing Brazilian music, mostly, um, mostly Bossa Nova. So yeah, that all of a sudden I was like, oh, hi, mom, you sing and play per Like what? Where did this come from? It I was mean, from she me. comes off as such a natural when you first hear her. I mean, was she like singing in the shower? Like where did this come from? No, like you have to practice a little bit, No, no, right? totally. No, well, she, she actually grew up in very musical. When she played a lot of instruments, she played the piano, she played guitar when she was younger, she did ballet, you know, she was, her, her father, my grandfather, um, was a chamber musician. He was a child, uh, uh, he played the viola, um, the violin and the viola. So my mom was very musical growing up. She sang growing up um, in college. Uh, actually, she like I, after graduating college moved to California. I think this was must have been a, a, in the sixties or seventies, probably the seventies, and uh, was a Latin 
jazz teach, a dance teacher, and she would teach, you know, like salsa merengue classes hmm. to a bunch of hippies in California so while like kind of singing with some friends and bands. She, it, it, this all started when she was younger. It's called living the dream right there. <laughs> totally. And yeah. then she, you know, got married, had babies and forgot about all of that. <laughs> yeah. But then she got a second chance, and she totally, totally. took it. Um, I actually forgot I did a little, a tiny bit of work with your mom, helping her do some recording. I just loved, I just thought she was so talented. I would have never have thought that she started so late in life. Because you know totally. how it is, and whether it's Africa or Brazil, most of these men and women start when they're like three years old, you know yeah. what I mean? Or, or younger. So to, to engage something as subtle and difficult as bossa nova because when you hear bad bossa nova you immediately recognize it (laughs) so it's like you cannot even take it it's like smooth jazz but worse yeah but when you hear beautiful sensual just subtle on point bossa nova it's fantastic yeah no my mom has a beautiful voice she really has a beautiful voice and she speaks portuguese which is pretty cool also so that definitely helps yeah her tone's fantastic her presence is great um is she still performing yeah, she actually plays every Monday night at a restaurant on uh, 84th and 2nd called La Pulperia. That is so awesome. That <laughs> a little is so plug, awesome. plug for the moms here. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So we're going to start working our way forward towards Lara's amazing work in Cuba right now. And uh, so, you know, I, I mean, you, you can talk about this if you want, but, but shortly after you uh, – actually, no, while you were still in school, your, your father passed away. Yeah. Unexpectedly. And, you know, we were already kind of tight then. And so I I really, really remember that um, and how hard that must have been. I mean, I'm thinking now about my father passing away. He's like 67. You know, I mean, that must have been really, really difficult. But I I remember you, 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 yeah, I don't know if it's just good family support or friend support or what it was, but, but you worked through it as hard as it was. And I'm sure it still is. You know what I actually really attribute to that a lot? Mm. Um, I, yeah, my, my dad passed away very unexpectedly, October of my last year of college. Mm. And something that I, to this day, I, I, I think about this often, actually, something that was so helpful for me in the grieving process and just like getting my life back on track was because I was still at Wesleyan, I had access to the student run grief group, which is basically this like group therapy session um, that, you know, it's kind of like the club that nobody wants to be a part of, but once right. you're part of it, you're just so appreciative that there are other people there. Mm. And once a week, um, I think it was like Tuesdays at 8 PM or something like that. I would go to this group therapy session and met all these other people who also, you know, other students who also lost people close to them mm-hmm. and being able to talk about something as crazy as losing a parent, like something as tragic and, and, you know, fucked up as that. Being able to talk about it with your friends is great, but being able to talk about it with people who know exactly what you're going through mm. is priceless. Um, so yeah, that, I, I was that. fortunate wow. that I had. Yeah, man, it was really, really, really clutch for me. Wow, well, that's that's starting to make sense because I remember how maturely you were dealing with it at the time, and I was like, <laughs> this seems impossible. Like she's yeah. clearly well, sad and upset, but she's like. <laughs> Hey, nothing wrong with that. You know, no, we, we, we've got a few million people in this country, at least, who could use some Xanax for for various yeah, when, reasons. When used responsibly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Because we trust our medical industry to do right by us all the time. Not, anyways. Yeah. Different podcast. Anyway. So but okay. So- yeah. So what? what the, my dad dying my senior year of high school of of college. 
became very much uh, shaped, like it, it pretty much shaped my entire after school plan. Yes. And, this you know, is, like I, and this is why I started off by calling you an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. Because Laura, yeah. who has all of these interests and all of these talents and is just just brilliant and, and, and very multidimensional in her skills, decided she was going to take over her father's landscaping business. And <laughs> to the Sounds point... so stupid. No, not at all. It's unbelievable to run a business at that level. Are you kidding? I mean, you know, I tried to start a business with nothing. So we had nothing to lose, nothing to gain. You know, like you had an actual yeah. business that had been running. And then you went to a master's program at Columbia so that you could do it. But at the same time, you were staying involved in music. I didn't know this, that you were dancing for Ho at New Blue. New Blue is, was oh at God. least one of the coolest spots in the East Village. Right. I don't know, or, or the Alphabet City. I don't know if it's still around, but artists it from... It is, but it's not the same. But I saw, I'm shitting you not, in like 2003 or something, I saw mm. Nora Jones at New Blue before Oof, anyone so knew cool. who the fuck she was, before I knew who the fuck she was. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm going, oh my God, this woman is A, an unbelievable singer, B, beautiful, C, beautiful. has an amazing <laughs> presence, and I remember telling my mom, who's who's a very like hip music person herself, and she loved Nora Jones. And and uh, but anyways, New Blue was an amazing spot. Fajo is uh, okay. Well, actually, this is a great sidebar, and this will help start working us into the music stuff. So you're working with Cuban musicians now, but you've also right. done a lot of work with you know and been around Brazilian music. As you know, my company Modiba worked with a Brazilian group called Nation Beat, which combined Fajo and Maracatu from from northern Brazil with you know southern bluegrass country, but also Jewish traditions because of the Hasifi connection. They did a lot of recordings with the Klezmatics. Oh, yeah, they're very into that stuff. You can tell why we love them, and you know I got to. <laughs> there's so many good genres of music all smushed into one. That's all amazing. There. All there, and the leader Scott Kettner. Um, who just quick plug is one of the greatest drummers on, on the planet in, in terms of his versatility and skill and, and really showed me an unbelievable time in Brazil in 2008 around, um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the Bizzlecast, uh, during Carnival of 2008, which is, what is it? End of January, early February? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So he up, yeah. says, come for one week before and one week after. Smart. So, so me and a couple buddies booked a three-week trip to Hasife. We slept on the floor of a, a, a record executive and manager there who we were friends with, a local guy, who was actually <laughs> Chico Science's personal manager before he what? sadly passed away. Yeah, Pablo An- Paolo Andre. Paolo Andre is our boy. He works in the Sao Zumbi, all of those groups. Wow. But he had air conditioning and he had music. So that's all we <laughs> needed, you know. So we crashed on the floor there for three weeks. You know, I, of course, got sick from street food like two days in. It, it, uh, but it didn't even matter. It was like the, the energy was so spectacular, you know, and the experience of not just Carnival, but everything leading up to Carnival was so amazing. Wow. It, Brazil, it, uh, Brazil is a insanely rich and intense culture but brazil around carnival time brings out a side of brazilians that like no matter how serious and how much you work during the rest of the year during carnival brazilians just let loose and everything goes and fun is fun and it's oh man i have a lot of memories well and we can maybe talk about later if you want the sort of dark side of carnival that actually comes from the slavery days as a way to let the common people let loose for a few days. 
and how I mean we were in Hasifi, which is a pretty poor city in the north, <laughs> you know, and they spend money that they don't even have on these costumes and instruments and stuff. As an outsider, you appreciate it, you know. But Scott from from Nation Beat, who's married to a Brazilian from uh, there, and you know has has family there and, and, and lives a lot of his time there, you know, had some issues with it even while being involved as a musician because mm-hmm. it was so expensive and it was such a release from the rest of the year that was so difficult but what was really amazing was that because we were there at that time people really had our backs i'm talking about brazilians like there weren't a lot of americans or europeans there at all no definitely not in hasifi yeah and it didn't matter if it was i mean we wouldn't we wouldn't go in favelas at night but we went during the day with local people i mean people could not have been nicer you know like it's not that we never felt like there was danger because you keep hearing about how Brazil is so dangerous, but I never felt personally, it's like in Israel, you know, where there's like bombs. Like I never felt personally like in any major danger when I was there. And maybe that's just my, my naivete, but you know, there's a million people. And what's great about Carnival and Hisifi is everything is free and everything is open to the public. There's no VIP lines. There's no special tickets. There's no waiting outside. There's no special shows. Everything is free. So when the Sao Zumbi plays with Lenine and Richard Bona oh, and Manu Chao, you know, there's like a million and a half people there. And luckily I got the VIP pass, baby. So they were able to bring me and my Brazilian lady friend up close. Uh, it, it was it was an amazing experience. And uh, let me put it this way. Is there any c- country in the world that is more proud of its culture that deserves to be so proud of its culture than Brazil? Um, the only cu- country that I would say comes close, honestly, is Cuba. <laughs> and, and here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you worked your father's business for a while. Um, just as a quick uh, a sidebar slash transition, how did you transition from the business to your uh, professional globe trotting and music and arts oh. organizing that you're doing now? It was funny and very spontaneous. This happens to me sometimes. Which you are. You are. I think that describes Lara. Lara is is funny and spontaneous. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair. Um, I honestly, every day that I ran that business for the six years that I did it on my own, but eight years in total, um, almost every day at some point I would think, I hate this. What am I doing? I don't want to do this anymore. But then for some reason or another, I'd, you know, I'd get inspired or I get motivated or I'd just be comfortable. So the decision to, 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 you know, walk away from this business was many years in the making, but I don't know. It, it, I just reached a point where I was so miserable and really was just thinking, you know, I, I was 28 and I was like, why are you doing this? How did Nobody you stay engaged? If, if, I, if you don't mind me asking, how did you stay engaged with all of these you know, musical and arts interests while you know, running a very difficult outlet. business? That okay. was my outlet. In were you performing? Time, were you just consuming? Like, what were you doing? I was going out and and dancing and like dancing awesome. to fall and dancing salsa and going to hear live music. Like I reached a point in my life where I'm like, I don't, I'm not interested in going out to drink or whatever anymore. If I'm going out, it's either to dance or to hear music. And that was pretty much all I did. That's amazing. Um, so, okay. I, I meant to do this earlier about Fojo. It's spelled F O R R O, but it's pronounced Fojo yeah. and is an amazing genre of music from Northern Brazil that is not only related to, but reminiscent of other traditions from around the world, including Southern United States music, as I was talking about before, with the violin and the types of dancing and so forth, the fiddle. Um, 
You are leaving tomorrow to Portugal <laughs> to go to a Foucault festival. I, I'm beyond jealous. Correct. I'm, am, I'm, I, am I winning or am I not winning? I'm you so are. Uh, who, who feels like a winner tonight? <laughs> Laura Katana feels like a fucking winner tonight. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Shameless. She is winning. Shameless. Winning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell us, A, what the hell is Foucault? B, why Portugal is so fucking awesome, and C, what you expect to be doing while you're there, and then we're going to lead right into Cuba, because that's what's next on your itinerary. So, um, Fojo is this delicious little dance from the northeast of Brazil. I, the music, traditionally, it's three instruments. It's a triangle, an accordion, and a drum, which is a very strange combination. of. Oh, really? Music. The fiddle wasn't initially a part of it? I didn't know no, that. No, that's oh. like Fojo da Rebeca. Like, there's a guy in New York that plays a lot like that. But no, the fiddle is not Bizzle just got schooled. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> re- real Fojo has a triangle. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, we, no, we, with Tim Kettner, our drum friend, you know, who plays with Via, we met, like, the triangle guru in, like, the bayou of Louisiana. I yo, shit you it, not. It looks easy, but there's a lot no, happening in the triangle. It's so difficult, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the way that you dance foho is it's it's a partner dance, and you can only dance it as a partner dance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I would say, salsa meets bachata meets tango. And it's, it has this reputation of being very sensual because you dance it very closely. But truly, it is one of the most fun things that I could ever imagine doing in my life. And the reason I love it so much, other than obviously I, I love to dance, I love Latin music, okay, but... There's no pretension whatsoever about fojo. Mm. Like salsa has, you know, a lot of rules and steps and combinations and mo- you got to do this, you got to do that. And either you do this style, you dance this style. Fojo is totally like a dance of the people. And you, you know just, what, though? I would add Southern ballroom dancing into it, actually. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's that's the tango element. Right. That, that was my reference point. But totally. Yes. It's very much dependent on the guy is leading the entire dance. And as a female dancer... You lit- what I do is I close my eyes literally and like melt into the person that I'm dancing with and just Dude. L- like one. Okay. Can I tell a quick Fojo story? Please. So when I was in Hasife for Carnival, when you're trying to figure out what to do at four or five in the morning, like, <laughs> like the only time there's not music during Carnival is from about five or six a.m. until about nine a.m. By 9 a.m., the horn bands are going all over the place. I mean, you can't even sleep if you wanted to during Carnival. I mean, it's impossible. 24-7, it's amazing. But you're looking at 5 in the morning, and it's like, what are people looking for? Like, cool people? They're not looking for, like, a club. They're looking for, like, the dopest, smallest Faho party that's all around. And and we got introduced to one that we went to, I think, two out of the five nights of Carnival. And it is a grind fest to end all grind fests. I mean, people are getting down to this music, you know, yeah. that if you saw from the outside, you'd never think. I mean, but like everything Brazilian, it's very sexual, but very restrained at the same time. It's kind of hard to describe. Yeah. But it did have this down home country feel to it. And again, I'm coming to this nation beat where they specifically accent that musical connection. But, you know, I mean, if I play that for like family members, like they're like, oh, this sounds different, but it kind of sounds like Southern like country music or something. Totally, totally. Um, actually, uh, Scott used to say, uh, this would be interesting, just philosophical question, sidebar, he used to say the north of Brazil was like the south of the U.S., essentially. 
You Absolutely. Know, I agree with that. Where the, the north of the U.S. and the south of Brazil is the richest and the most white, you know, or, or more white, I should say. Mm-hmm. Whereas northern Brazil is very, and this was the other connection I wanted to make, and one of the reasons I was so psyched to go to northern Brazil is it's very Afro-Brazilian. Totally. I mean, you can still see the African traditions preserved, um, both musically and religiously. And the same thing in the south. You know, you have this melange of poor people, both white and black, but the musical and arts tradition is is so so great um so what um just as leading to cuba what were some of your highlights of your experiences in brazil that got you to the point where you get involved with a with, with a cuban uh, collective which you know just by your history you have less experience with um if that you know what i mean like you you had a connection to brazil already and then you're saying okay i'm gonna move over to this but what was it about brazil that got you to where you are today I mean, I, I think part of why I fell so deep into Brazil is, is that I was really able to make, I mean, aside from my interests, right? I love Brazilian music and I love Brazilian language, but I'm, I made a lot of friends in Brazil and I've, I've met a lot of friends, a lot of whom are involved in music. So I feel like I kind of got an insight into Brazil via the music scene so when, Which, when were like the major, just to give, uh, to give Bizzlecast, you know, people context, you know, uh, when were you there? Like when were the major periods that you were there? You know what I'm so saying? So I, I um, did my semester abroad in Brazil. So I lived in Brazil for seven months in 2005. Um, and basically since then, so that's over 10 years ago, have been, I've just, I've, I have a lot of Brazilian friends in New York City. I worked at a Brazilian restaurant. I ended up dating a couple of Brazilian guys, one of which I was with for almost three years who barely spoke any English. So for almost three years of my life, I would say about 75% of it was in Portuguese, which was great. I learned a lot of Portuguese. My Portuguese <laughs> got, ama- you know, <laughs> was very good by the end of those three years. But um, Except when you didn't want to listen and you're like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> you know what was funny? We used to, when, when we would argue, we would argue in Portuguese. And I literally still find myself sometimes, if I'm like getting upset or heated, my brain sometimes switches and starts thinking in Portuguese because I got so used to like being able to defend myself in Portuguese. I was quite good at it. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so interesting. Weird. So yeah. it was it was one extended period? No, it sounds like there were a couple. A couple. Well, since I, I went for seven months in 2005 okay. and pretty much since then, I went to Brazil, if not once every year you know, pretty close to that. I just went back a lot. I went to Brazil a lot and just, you know, it's such a humongous country. I've seen probably a lot more of Brazil than many Brazilians have seen. And Brazilians do a lot of national tourism. I mean, they travel within their country a lot, but the point is that there's just so much to see. So, Well, in fact, when I told later... Brazilian friends of mine who are from the south of Brazil and only been to south of Brazil that I went to Carnival in Recife. They were like, you went to Carnival in Recife? Holy shit, that's supposed to be amazing. Totally. Um, So yeah, so pretty much for the last 10 years of my life more, I've been very, just very involved in Brazil. Okay, so... Just for context of the BizzleCast listeners, so Laura and I had were friends during college. We were friends after college. We had a lot of friends in common. I left New York City around the end of 08, 09. I don't know if I've seen you since then. I don't know. Maybe once. We have communicated on Facebook a few times. And yeah. 
before we had our long conversation a few days ago, which, you know, led me to want to do this podcast with you, I would have just assumed that you were regularly living in Brazil, even if I didn't see the timeline I have <laughs> yeah. in front of me. Like, it just seemed like that makes sense. And then, then that's where you, you know, that that's where you would be, right? Which is, which is funny now, because what, what I get a lot of people say to me nowadays is, wait, so, so are you living in Cuba full time now? I'm like, <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. I'm trying to. They just won't let me. Um, but basically what happened to put, yes, to give some context is that I, when I was 23 years old, I mean, I, f- I finished Wesleyan at 21, went and got a master's degree in landscape design because all of a sudden my sister had this business that nobody knew what to do with. I finished that when I was 23, at which point my sister who had been re- running our father's business for the last two years just gave me the keys and was like, here you go. Whoa. This is your problem now. So when I was 23 and most of my friends were, I don't know, you know, bartending or traveling or doing whatever, I was like running a business. I was the, I was the boss. I was a CEO yeah. of a small business with, you know, five, around five employees. But still, I had no idea what I was doing. So I did that until um, 2014. So I did that for about six years and just got to a point one day where I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm not, I'm not going to. So I decided to, I was going to look into selling the business and I had to figure out how to do that. I'd never sold a business before. I figured that out, sold the business to basically a, a, a bigger competitor, a bigger company in the city who um, actually ended up convincing me to stay and work along with them for six months wow. after I sold the business. Cause they were, like the, the boss was just like, Laura, you're so good at what you do. Why are you leaving? What if you stay? And they, they made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. Is there anything worse in life than being good at something you don't want to be good at? No, I mean, I'm sure there are worse things than that. There are worse things, but you yeah. know, do you know what I mean? Totally. No. And, and there, I mean, I, look, I was 28. I got offered a really great cushy, position in which I could basically have all of the liberties and freedom of running my own business without the responsibilities. Mm. Like they would handle all the paperwork and administrative crap that I didn't like. And I would just keep, you know, managing my clients. So I did that for six months until I literally got to a point where I, I just, it like came to me like a light bulb one day, like, like a revelation. I was just like, oh, what am I doing? I can't do this anymore. And it was September, 2014. And I went and I spoke with you know, my business partner at that point and was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sorry. And he said, okay, cool. See ya. I mean, this is, this is easy for me to say in hindsight, but like, so we were still in touch when you took over the business and then we didn't talk for a while, but I I knew what was going on. I'm I'm going, there's no way Laura does this for life. You know, like I knew you well enough to know in fact, you went way longer than I thought. I, I'm not sure I would have been able to take it that long. Not that it's a bad job. It's just not what your interests are, right? I mean, so oh, I, I, well, I'm impressed you even made it that long, to be honest you know, with you. And to be honest, it was such a big part of that, I think, was emotional in retrospect. Like, I think that there was so much desire. You were close with for, your dad. I was. And also, yeah. this was the business that he built literally from the ground up. I mean, my dad grew up like my dad was homeless until he was like six or seven. My dad grew up really poor. And I grew up thinking that we were rich only because my dad just was so adamant about making sure that my sister and I never suffered the way that he did Mm. that, you know, he probably spoiled the crap out of us. But, you know, this business is what supported me and my family my entire life. And there was a real desire to be like, I want to go with this. I want to, I, I, I can do this and I can fix what's broken mm-hmm. and I can keep this going and keep this, you know, the, like, you know, my father's legacy. And also like, 
you know, how many other 23, 24 year olds do you know that get this opportunity to, here you go, run this business. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Granted it was a mess and and I had to completely restructure the business because it was designed to have my dad at the head of it. So obviously a lot changed. Um, Anyways, you know, I, I think back a lot why I hadn't, why my sister and I didn't decide to sell it in yep. the first place. Like mm-hmm. we obviously would have made a lot more money selling it like that. But you know what? I, I'm such a strong believer in that like everywhere that I've been has brought me to where I am. And that the six years that I spent doing that were really, really, really important for me. I learned so much. I grew so much. I cried so much. I was very miserable a lot of the time and stressed and overwhelmed and just having no idea whatsoever. I mean, what I was doing, I I was taking West African drumming and like painting classes at Wesley and not like economics and finance and business administration. Which you don't need to run a company, by the way, but that's a different story. Yeah, go ahead. Well, You you just need to be smart and know how to deal with people. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. that is exactly something that to this day I've realized, okay, now I have all this experience running right. a small business, which really, you know, you wear a lot of hats running a small business. And now I know, okay, I'm good, pretty good at this. I'm good at this. I can do this. And I have this experience. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big part of who I am today. Um, so what I had told after, anyways, after I sold the business, I was stuck around, um, and worked at the company that bought my company for me for six months. And I just woke up one day and it was so clear to me that I just, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. So I told him, my business partner, he wasn't my boss, more my business partner. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. He was surprisingly just like, okay, cool. Bye. See ya. No problem. He's whatever, a mm. strange guy with personality <laughs> issues anyways. But he was just like, Fair okay, enough. you're free. Go. So it was, I remember, I think it was end of August, September of 2014. And I was just like, okay, I I was planning to meet a friend at the end of December in Uruguay anyways. And I was like, okay, that's when I'm going to start my trip. So I hustled to get a a last minute waitressing job at Joe's Pub, which is a great music venue. Oh, hell yeah. Joe's Pub gave the beginnings to a bunch of our artists. Right. Right. So, and I I had a friend that worked there and she's like, yeah, I can get you a job. So I just plant, I worked there until the end of the year until I left December 28th. Hmm. And actually what something that was really cool in the, you know, Joe's Pub has such a diverse um, lineup from night to night. I mean, oh, sometimes yeah. it's music, sometimes it's comedy. Well, and, it's, well, and, it's, and it's a multi-venue actual play. I mean, correct. there's actually two to three there's venues few, there, depending on how you want to talk about it. Go correct, ahead. correct. So I was working in the in the music um, room. What is it called? The, 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 the main... Yeah, the pub. Uh, the pub. Yeah, yeah. The, the pub, yeah. So I saw um, eBay, the, the twins that are um, actually half Cuban. Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. No, Jesse, no. E-A-E-I-B-E-Y-I. Impossible. Oh, my God. I'm going to blow your mind with this. They're these two. I can't wait. They're blow like my mind. 22-year-old twins. They're daughters of, I forget exa- what their father's name is, but one of their fathers was a very um, important and influential uh, percussionist, if I'm not mistaken, and he played in the Buena Vista Social Club. And their mom... Oof, she has, I think, I want to say Surinamese or French or has something South American, but African, but mm. European. And they're these, tw- they're in their young 20s, they're these two twins. And they, you got to look them up. Um, they, I, I was there for their first US show ever. Uh, okay. And 
I remember, you know, the artists showed up earlier in the day and they were just being total divas, just kind of like nobody knew who they were and they were just like, oh, it's too cold and uh, I'm coughing and just all of the wait staff, we were just like, all right, girls, get over yourselves. <laughs> and when they first started singing and the two of them sing, one of them plays the piano and one of them plays the percussion, I'm not exaggerating, the entire room stopped. Everybody stopped and just was like, whoa, they are fucking good. And that kind of put in a little bit of a way that, that really put Cuba on my radar. And anyways, that's just a little side note. So I waitressed until... I'm just quiet because I love Joe's Pub and have had so many musical, amazing experiences there. Yeah. Like, no, it was yeah. a really cool place to work at for three months while I was yeah. just, you know, saving up some extra cash before I bought a one-way ticket to South America with the intention of just traveling until I didn't want to travel anymore. Okay, so... You went to Uruguay. Right. You went to Argentina. Correct. Argentina. Argentina. You went to Brazil. Correct. You went to Colombia, Ecuador, Chile, Nicaragua, Mexico, Costa Rica, and of course, Cuba. Many. You can many. talk about as much or as little of this trip as you want. We're going to end up in Cuba. This sounds amazing. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, it, it has been absolutely amazing. I can't honestly even believe that I, I actually actually did it. This was my dream. What my, my, I think my original plan before life happened the way that it happened was to finish Wesleyan and go travel for a year. That's what I wanted to do. And I just, it's always been something that had been eating at me. I mean, I've, I've, don't get me wrong. I've traveled a lot. The whole years I was running my business, I still traveled a lot, but never like, you know, a big, long, open-ended trip like I had always wanted to do. So I started and I went with two very clear intentions, one of which was to learn Spanish and mm -hmm. to get my Spanish to at least as good, if not better, of the level that my Portuguese was at. Mm -hmm. And also to just, I, I called it a, a year of personal development. You know, I just wanted to go and like, like, this is so cheesy, but like find myself again, just get back to myself. Like I had gone through so much, you know, with selling the business, running the business, crazy, like just in my personal life, you know, all dating all kinds of people that just were no good for life. And I just was like, I need to just find my happy place again. And Can I ask you a question about this? Yeah. So you went end of 2014, seven plus years after graduation, after you had been, right? Am yeah. I getting the math right in there? Yeah. So you've been running your dad's business, your yeah. late dad's business. By the way, I had met your dad briefly a couple of times. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Wasn't he? Um, yeah. Thank just, you. yeah. Well, shout out we, to we were all heartbroken by the whole thing, but yeah. uh, he, he's beautifully remembered by everybody. So. Thank you. Um, but anyways, so my, my question is, and this is sort of rhetorical, and it's kind of a leading question, which is, in some ways it would have been cool to do this right after college, but in some ways it was probably better for you that totally. it took place years and years after college and you'd been through a lot of other shit, right? Dude, I think about that all the time. I think about mm. that all the time, especially as I travel and see other, you know, 22-year-olds traveling. I, when I, but when, before I set out, I really was nervous being like, man, am I going to, am I too old for this? Like, am I going to just like, you know, be surrounded by a bunch of 22 year olds at hostels? And like, is this kind of weird that I'm doing this at this point in life? Like all my friends are, you know, starting to climb the corporate ladders and I'm just like doing it. Right. I'm doing the complete opposite. I'm letting totally. go of everything, you know, selling yeah. all my possessions and putting everything yeah. in a backpack and, and traveling. Mm -hmm. The truth is I'm so grateful to ha that I, that by the time I got around to doing this trip that I'm doing it now, I started when I was 29 mm -hmm. and 
it would have been such a different trip. 29-year-old Laura having been through all that I had been through versus 21-year-old Laura, you know. And you know what? You know what? If you had come to me as 21-year-old Laura with this Cuban thing, I would have been like, that sounds great. Good luck with it. Yeah. But 20, and that's nothing to do with you. It just has to do with age. Yeah. You know, totally. but 29 or 31, 30 year old Laura 31, comes 31. to me with this, with, with Guampara, which I swear we're getting too soon. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is serious. She knows what the fuck she's talking yeah. about. I mean, just, just from our, you know, short messages and just seeing your Facebook page, like I just knew you were, you, you were going into this. And if I may quote your blog post that you have in your biography. Uh-oh. <laughs> Laura Katana uh, talks about this trip as, quote, this is a way, a uh, way overdue journey around the world, going wherever I want, doing whatever I want, laughing and loving and dancing as much as possible. You know, just carpe DMing the fuck out of life. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. Yes. I mean, that's pretty much what I've done. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I've that's just, what I'm going to say when everyone asks when I'm doing something weird. I'm like, I'm carpe DMing the fuck out of this shit. Totally, totally, <laughs> totally. Because you have to. Life is so short and beautiful and there's so much to be seen. I like, I, I, I can't, I just couldn't stand the thought of being so young and already being like, I hate, I hate my job. I, I like, you know, Sunday night panic attacks of like, oh, tomorrow's Monday. This is so miserable. Yeah. Like, that's not what I wanted. So, yeah, I bought a one-way ticket. <laughs> So uh, t- this will be a one or two part question that leads into Cuba. How did you pick those locations? A, B was was Cuba last, and C, why did Cuba become the focus of what you wanted to do? Um, I, like I said, my 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 goal was to start traveling in South America, and I, I really to go everywhere. I wanted to still go to Europe and Southeast Asia, but learning sure. Spanish was a really, really, really big priority for me. So I definitely started traveling. Like like one of the countries I spent the most time in, aside from Cuba, is Colombia. I spent over three months in Colombia, really studying Spanish. Colombians speak a beautiful Spanish, and also Colombia is an amazing country. Um, I hear Bogota is fantastic. Everything is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bogota is not, it, weather sucks, I'll tell you that. But as a city itself. Oh, interesting. Is it uh, in the mountains? Is that yeah, what the Yeah, it's in the sucks? mountains yeah. and it's yeah. always kind of cold and shitty and rainy, which is. But not, musically, it's got to be pretty dope, right? Totally. I mean, There's a huge, yeah. awesome music scene, awesome music scene in Bogota. Um, also in Mexico City. Oh, the, South America is just wonderful. I just fucking love it. I don't know. I, traveling, I just, you know, not standing out like a sore thumb because of the way I look, I'm sure has had a big help in, in my wonderful experience in South America. Cause I don't, I don't stand out like a sore thumb everywhere. Um, but also learning Spanish is really helpful. So I just honestly, you know, started Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, Colombia, and then just was thinking, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, move to geographically what's next. Except I, and I do this a lot. I literally just woke up one day and was like, mm. Cuba, I want to go to Cuba. And it just, it just kind of came, jumped into my head and I didn't really know why it's, you know, something I've always been in, I guess I, it's always been an, a place I thought would be interesting, but it wasn't, I don't know. I guess I just never really thought about Cuba before cause I couldn't go. Um, and I just was in Colombia, and I was like, I'm going to go to Cuba and I bought a ticket. I was stayed this out before or after it was legal to go to Cuba. Uh, this was before. <laughs> but I'm already in Colombia, so it was That's so fine. You can't you can't be prosecuted for that now. Yeah. Um so I, <laughs> I that makes you feel better. <laughs> well, so you're in Colombia. Were you in Bogota at the time? When, no, when, I was in 
actually, I had gone to see about a boy in Medellin, and that and that didn't work out. So a boy in Medellin? Oh God! Literally. Oh man! Yeah, but he was he was he was German. Anyways. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that makes you feel you know, a lot better. One of the Sorry. one of the many beautiful things of traveling are the travel romances. But anyways, I digress. Germans in Medellin. I'm running as fast <laughs> and quick as possible. Well, needless to say, it didn't work out. No so offense, I, Germans. I bought the ticket to to Cuba. And it, mm-hmm. this, the, the f- cheapest flight was out of Cali, which is probably my favorite city in all of Colombia because it has the most phenomenal, spectacular, mind-blowing dance culture. I'm sorry, um, where? Cali, Colombia. Cali? I've never heard of Cali. Oh, it's like the capital of salsa. It, not ah. just in Colombia, but I, I think probably considered in the world. It's K-A-L-I? K- no, C-A-L-I, Cali. Like California, okay. Yeah. And um, I stayed out dancing until about four o'clock in the morning santiago de cali um that might be what it's called yeah oh, sorry go ahead you were dancing until four in the morning dancing until four in the morning went straight to the airport didn't mm-hmm. do an ounce of research about cuba got on my early morning flight fell asleep and woke up to the a, a very nice guy sitting next to me um, had taken the immigration papers for me and that they had handed out while I was sleeping. And he gave it to me and he kind of, he spoke to me in Spanish, but I could hear immediately he was Brazilian. At which point I was like, Oh dude, you're Brazilian. Hey, what's up? And he's like, ah, you know, <laughs> what's this <laughs> white girl doing speaking Portuguese? It's always everyone's reaction. <laughs> right. It's very funny. I, and, I wish I looked as white as you did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyways, we start chatting and, and, and we become friends and I realized I haven't done any research. I know nothing about Cuba. I booked a place for my first night only with the intention of staying there one night and then finding something cheaper because I had heard, you know, at this point I had been traveling about six months. You meet a lot of people traveling, people, travelers exchange stories. So I heard sure. there were places I could find for cheaper. Yep. So my friend and I decide to share a taxi from the airport. This friend ends up becoming the guy that I spend the next three weeks with. He's this super flamboyantly gay guy from Brazil. He's a medical student, and we become inseparable. And That sounds like the perfect traveling partner <laughs> as, a, as a woman, yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. He was just a lifesaver for so many reasons. No drama. And yeah. basically what happened, we, we went to, you know, he went to the place that he had booked. I went to the place I had booked. We made a plan to meet up later because the thing about Cuba is that there's no no cell phone service. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no internet. So it wasn't like, oh, like, you know, go to your hostel. I'll go to my hostel. Maybe we'll meet up later. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's pick an intersection and a time. And just like we used to do back in the days before everybody had cell phones, we make a place to meet and then we meet there. Mm -hmm. So I met him there and ended up that same day um, looking, I was like, okay, I need to find a a new place to stay. Ended up walking into a random place on the street that had a little sign that said hostel, hostel in Spanish. And I had heard that there weren't hostels in Cuba, but I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is one. I don't know. I went in, asked if they had any availability. It was a gent- an older gentleman. And um, what it wasn't actually a hostel. It was a casa particular, which is what you basically have in Cuba, which are, they're like, bed- they're like homestays, essentially. Bed and breakfast or a homestay, depending on what degree of um, involved you are with the, with the family. But basically, you're staying in the room of a family who rents out a room to you. Hmm. Um, it, traveling in Cuba is very different than traveling in the rest of the world. So this imagine. old gentleman didn't have any room in his house, but he said, hold on one second. My neighbors across the street, they rent out rooms. Hold on, they'll come and get you. So wait a couple of minutes. A few minutes, uh, um, this elderly gentleman, he's maybe about 65, named Lazaro, comes and picks up me and my friend. 
the Brazilian guy, brings us up to the apartment and within, truly within maybe 30 seconds of being in their house, I was, I was sold. I was like, yep, absolutely. This is where I want to stay. It was this wonderful family, the 65-year-old Lázaro, his wife, Cristina, who's also about 60, her, their daughter, Teresa, who's in her 40s, and Teresa's son, Juan, who's 20. And they are just the most absurd, ridiculous, warm, friendly, inviting people that just immediately took me in. Mm. And I ended up staying there with my Brazilian friend for about three weeks. And th- I mean, they just, I, we, they just made us feel like part of the family. I mean, we really were. We, you know, we would wake up in the morning, have breakfast with them and sit and talk with Cristina who would just basically grill us from the, what we did the night before. Who did you go out with? What did you do? What did you see? Who was the guy? Was he cute? Let me see a picture. What did you do? Did you kiss him? Did you just kiss him? I felt like I was, you know, with this like Cuban family that I never knew I had. So So what was it? I mean, what, what was the connection you think? I think that I got really lucky this in my first trip to Cuba in those first three weeks, a combination of meeting this wonderful Brazilian friend who was just the best partner in crime ever mm-hmm. of having the complete luck of walking into this amazing Cuban family's house, who, by the way, to this day, they've adopted me. They call me their child. They do not let me pay to stay with them. They, like I'm part of the family. Um, so, right. This is, is Laura's family in Cuba, which we're definitely going to get back to because right. this is extremely important. Yeah. Keep going. And that, in addition to the fact that I made, I made Cuban friends I met some friends in the first couple of days that Cuba is not the easiest place to make real friends who aren't trying to hustle you for something, who aren't trying, who don't have, you know, maybe I'm not saying that they have bad intentions, but ulterior motives. And I just, I just got really lucky and I met some wonderful people. And so for, I was there for three weeks. I ended up, I left, I went back to Colombia for two weeks and then my, one of my best friends in the whole world, who's one of my favorite people in the world to travel with, Marlon calls me and he's like, hey. Marlon Bishop. Marlon Bishop. Also, AKA Marlonius Thunk. Just AKA the coolest man in the world. Um, <laughs> he, Brilliant music journalist and musician. Go ahead. Yeah, he called me up and he's like, yo, I got vacation next week. Let's go somewhere. And I was like, okay, great. How about Cuba? Let's go back to Cuba. <laughs> and I actually, I'll never let Marlon live this down. I had to convince him. I had a four, I spent a 45 minute long conversation convincing him that Cuba was a better, Cuba with me was a better idea than going to visit our other dear friend, Vlad in California to like chill and relax. And I'm like, Marlon, an opportunity to go to Cuba together. Speaking of Kinky Spigot, two of the founding members. Correct. There you go. See, it's all in the family. All in the family. Anyways. Long story short, I convinced Marlon to come, which obviously afterwards he was like, I cannot believe that I didn't just immediately say yes to you, Laura. I'm like, I know, uh, please, that's some things I know about. <laughs> and we ended up going to, um, we went back to Cuba. I, 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 I arranged it to be a surprise for the family. I wanted to surprise them because I had literally just been there two weeks prior. So this is 2015 now, right? This is still 2015. This is August okay. of 2015. Right. Two weeks after I went to Cuba for the first time in July. And show up. And Marlon, by nature of who he is and his involvement with music and being a journalist, Marlon always has friends that are somehow involved in the music world or musicians that every time we travel, he's like, oh, okay, like, let's call up these people or friends of friends or I was told to hit these people up. So, Can I ask oh, you a question about Marlon? Because I love him to death, but I've never seen him in that sort of context. 
he's kind of shy it, it seems at times but it's he's the kind of guy that when you know his life experience you just envision him in a south american country being completely comfortable and at, and at home in that situation and i can relate to that i mean when i came back from living in africa for the first time like i felt horribly guilty and alienated and just I, and not in place like I, you totally. know like I, no. I, I was i was living with families for months and months and months i come back to the you know this country and i just i just couldn't relate and he spent so much time there i love the guy he's a brilliant musician I'm just yeah. That must have been cool. A, a cool wingman to have, right? A cultural oh, wingman to Marlon's have. Marlon's the yeah. best. I always say Marlon he's speaks the all the languages and dances all the dances. He's my favorite. And he plays person. the fucking accordion, man. Yo, he plays it, everything. Marlon's oh, one of those people God. that picks up anything and plays it better than I'm just you could so ever jealous. imagine. I'm just jealous. I mean, yeah. he's just better at everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is. He, 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 he really Maybe is. Maybe not podcasting. I don't, but he probably I don't, is better at podcasting. I don't call him the coolest man in the world for no reason. He really, truly is, and he's a great person right, to travel right. with. But you know that's interesting that you say that he is kind of a shy guy but you know working in journalism I think has taken he's he's worked on that a lot you know as a journalist you have to ask questions and put yourself out there and Marlon and I bond a lot over the fact that we both I think feel really really comfortable in South America like Marlon's at his best in South America Marlon's Spanish is on point Marlon dances like you know he's great so yeah, no, he's one of those guys that you, you you initially feel anxious around, and you realize later that the reason you feel anxious is because they're so much more relaxed and laid back than you are. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wow, this guy's just super chill. Okay. Anyways, Bizzlecast listeners, you should all be as much but, of a fan as Marlon Bishop as we are. Marlon Bishop's <laughs> awesome, and he who, who, uh, just a real quick plug for him since we're plugging him. He does reportage for who at this point? He you is know? the producer of an amazing um, podcast called Let. Latino USA. It's a show on NPR and they talk about cultural and political issues facing Latinos in the US and abroad. And it's really well done. It's honestly, I'm, I'm, I I didn't think I was that into podcasts and hearing. Do you know what it's called? It's called Latino USA. Latino USA. People check that out. So you're with Marlon. It's the summer so, of 2015. I'm in Mar- with Marlon. It's in where it's August in Cuba. It's so hot. You've literally never fucking hot as balls. I'm no, sure. Yeah. You don't even know. Balls are nothing compared to August. In <laughs> it's Cuba. like 300 percent humidity. Holy yeah. shit! And Marlon says, "Yo, I've got some friends that a friend said we should hit up. They're like musicians, or they're involved in hip hop, or I don't really know what they do, but let's call them." I was like, "Okay, cool." So I let Marlon do all the talking. His Spanish is much better than mine at this point. And we basically go over to this guy, Isnai's house. We're just like really confused already by like how to pronounce this man's name. We actually, the first time we try going, get lost. We knock on someone else's door. It's not him. We end up going home and trying again the next day. Again, there's no internet or cell phones for us at that point in Cuba. So we end up meeting this guy, Isnai, who is the head of an arts collective called Guampara um, they call it Guampara Productions. And Isnai is kind of the master. Well, hold on, I gotta stop you for one sec. Yeah. When you met Isnai, who's also DJ Igwe, right. who's the, the head of Guampara, Guampara Productions. Correct. Which is what we're, we're building towards here. I have to ask though, did you know like the shit that he was involved with when you met him or that came out later? Because this stuff is important. Absolutely not. I had no idea no. who he was, right. what he was about. And what he what he was doing, I knew which nothing. speaks to his character that he was just like a normal dude. And later you were like, oh, okay. yeah, he was a normal dude that that just had a friend of a friend 
hit him up and be like, hey, I'm in town. Can I come by and hang out and meet you? Which to me, I was kind of like awkward about this whole thing. I was like, oh, that sounds weird. We're just going to go call this guy that we don't know and show up to his house. But (laughs) Isnai, as as I've seen him do now with so many other people, I mean, he lives in this amazing, big, beautiful old house in Centro Havana, which it's just very like, oh, it's just so typical Cuban. And what town is this? It's in Havana, in, in the neighborhood of Centro Havana. Oh, 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 Central Havana. There's yeah. Central Cuba. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And they and he he lives there with his wife, who's also mm-hmm. part of the team. She's an amazing photographer and videographer. And his son Ekon, who's five now, who I don't generally talk about how much I like kids because if you know me, well, let's just leave it at that. This kid You're a is cat person. This kid <laughs> is the coolest kid in all of Cuba. Uh, he is just like an exact replica of his father, but I'll get to that. And, oh. and um, Isnai also lives, um, he has, it, it's a huge house. A, a, two of his other buddies lived in the house with him also. His friend Ariel, who was kind of his like business manager slash part of the team. And another guy named Kamerun, who is this incredibly talented MC producer um, that's all part of this team, this family called Guampara. And so basically it's an arts collective. They not, they, Isnai started Guampara Productions, which is the first urban music label in Cuba. It's the first independent urban music label in Cuba. And under the label of Guampara, there's five artists. One of those artists is Isnai himself, whose artistic name is DJ Higue. Um, Cameroon is another one of the artists. Um, he does more like dancehall reggae and he's a great producer as well. Gold Seco is a hip hop duo. They're actually a couple, a guy, um, um, a husband and wife, but they're mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and they're more hip hop. There is Nino Foni, who's a younger. I'm sorry. I just saw on your thing that they're produced by, uh, by Peterson, by, um, what's his face? Giles Peterson, UK DJ Giles Peterson. You said hip hop duo highlighted by UK DJ. Charles Peterson's Havana culture. You don't know what I'm talking about. I do not know. <laughs> it was in one of the documents. You said, He's a really, really famous UK producer and compiler and the ethnomusicologist, Giles Peterson. And we listened to him in college a lot. He, all- he's working with Golpe Seco. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Oops, I should know about that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what the bizzle's here for. <laughs> um, so, so, okay, so you're meeting all these cool people. This is great. So I basically, we go to their house, we hang out, um, you know, they tell us a little bit about what they do. We meet in East, in East Nye's house, they have, um, he has a, a music studio, which is a recording studio, which is just, dude, it's cool. It's all homemade and Cuban and just the whole aesthetic of everything. By the Cuban. way, can I just throw in, whenever you call anything Cuban, it instantly becomes like 10 times cooler. Yeah. You're like, oh man, I went to this outhouse in Cuba. It was fucking amazing. Right. <laughs> It's cool in Cuba. It really is. It is cool, yeah. So yeah. we meet them. We hang out. They show. They play yes. us some of the music that they're working on. And mm-hmm. so Isnai shows us a couple of short films that he also works on. He's also a filmmaker and a director. And literally, Marlon and I just sit there with our... I mean, we have our minds blown. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I left that first night hanging out with them. And they, they invited us to a party, then a house party of a friend of theirs. We just spent all night hanging out with them. And, and Marlon and I left. And I was just like, Marlon, these are literally the, these are the coolest people in Havana. Oh, my God. Like, I was just so impressed. I was such a fan. I was such like, I just want to be your best friends, guys. Like, you are doing such cool stuff. So we ended up kicking it with them for the week that Marlon was there. I'm sorry. Can I ask a quick question about yeah. that sort of recognition of how cool they were? 
we don't have to go into details, but you knew a lot about my music company, Modiba, and yeah. you know came to a lot of our shows backstage, met the artists. Yeah. And was very so, present in the beginnings of, of Modiba. Very, very present. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a guy like Marlon, he's such an ethnomusicologist. It's like he's never looking to, like, really profit off of stuff. He just totally. wants to learn about stuff and, and bring the music. He's the ultra, ultimate culture ambassador, and you are as well with this. But <laughs> was there any part of you, that, you know, that your experience with the music business, including your mom, by the way, and including your performances, your dancing? It's like, so you've seen these business, like, did the business sense also being a businesswoman for five, six years, did that ding in your head? Not, or was this just purely cultural, like, this is cool, I just want to be around this as much as possible? Not at all. There was no business in my mind whatsoever. I was just like, the music that you just played for me is so much better than anything that I've ever heard out of Cuba. And that's a bold statement. There's good uh, music coming out of Cuba. Well, let, let me rephrase that. I don't mean business in the sense of like making profit off of them. I'm just talking about thinking big in terms of I would love to bring this no. to a wider yeah. audience no yeah. not well I mean hearing it and 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 having you know watching some of these short films that they made yeah of course a part of me is just like oh my god I want to tell everybody that I know about how cool this is right but in terms of having it be a, a thing of like okay I'm going to try and bring this to the U.S. no definitely not um I was just like you know it, just so impressed by like holy crap this is really cool stuff that these guys are working on. Mm. So Marlon and I kicked it with them for a week okay. and, you know, said goodbye. was just like, you know, I told them guys, I'll, I'll be back soon. Um, and I'll, and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hit us up. Ha ha ha. And right. I was like, okay, except I'm serious. <laughs> I, I ended up writing, um, no, I think I just posted on my blog or something, a little snippet of a really shitty video that I recorded of us all hanging out on the Malecon, which is like the, the boardwalk kind of in Cuba. It's like a very iconic part of, um, mm. of the city of Havana, of them playing some of this new music for, for us, like this new okay. music that they had been working on. And Marlon and I just hearing this and being like, holy fuck, like we know so many DJs and music heads from New York that would shit their pants as much as we are right now upon hearing this so I was like recording it on my phone and when I got home when I left Cuba I posted it on like I don't know I think I posted on my blog or on YouTube or something and it was just like oh these are the coolest people in Havana listen and I, just total you know just me being excited about life and just you know um, hyperbolic like I always am and they saw that okay, but no but okay so you did ultimately start having larger visions about sharing this with other people yeah mo- mostly just like Marlon and I actually immediately actually wait when we first heard their music Marlon and I simultaneously were just like we know two DJs from New York that, that are kind of very involved in that uh, you know electronic tropical kind of fusion music and we were like whoa Gecko Jones and Upward Andy need to hear this and that was bo- our both initial thoughts you know gecko and, and upper dandy are are the two djs behind that um this really popular kibajo party which if you go to like La- if you're involved in the latin electronic music world in new york you definitely know these parties they happen once a month and they are the most fun the best so anyways those two djs we thought of them and we're like yo we got to connect these people but that was it i left went back i posted this thing on my blog and through mm-hmm. facebook they saw it and they kind of sent me a message on, on, this was like around, I don't know, October maybe. And they were just like, yo, cool. Thanks for that shout out. And I was like, 
cool. Thanks for the recognition of that shout out. Like, you know, I didn't do that to like, you know, kiss ass. I just did that because I really believed in it. So I ended up going back. I leave, I had left Cuba in August. I ended Mm -hmm. up going back in November for Mm -hmm. two months. Okay. No, for five weeks, for five weeks. So of course I arrive again in November. I hit them Mm -hmm. up. I call up Isnai and I'm like, hi, guess what? Guess who's here again? <laughs> he literally was just like, dude, what are you doing in your life? Why are it's you the here? the American. I'm yeah. back. Yeah. But he was like, cool, word, swing by. Come by. And they, they happen to live like five blocks from the house that I stay at in Cuba also. So it's very convenient. So we were just kicking it, chilling, hanging out. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And they, um, want, they asked me if I want to kind of help get involved in one of the short films that they, that they have a trailer for that they were thinking mm-hmm. about turning into a bigger documentary. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I had told them about um, Kickstarter, like crowdfunding. They'd never heard mm-hmm. of that. I, you know, ex- uh, try, yeah. was trying, how can I explain this concept? Can they even do that from there? No. I guess you, you do no. it from here. Yeah, they can't. They can't. You'd have yeah. to do it from here. So and they asked me like, oh, yeah, do you kind of want to get involved in this thing with us? And I'm super like, yeah, great, cool, sure, I want to get involved in anything. You know, at this point, I'm, I've been traveling a year and, you know, still trying to find myself, figure out what I want to be when I grow up. But like, really, I'm just still traveling. I, I don't know yet. Well, so wait, wait, let me just jump in real quick. So you've been to all these amazing countries yeah. over numerous trips, but especially that first big trip. What was it about... You know, I mean, obviously, you established this contact with this amazing family. That's oh. like you're you're beyond like a host family for yeah. you now. And you met these amazing musicians and producers and, and artists and so forth. But why Cuba ultimately? You know, like why was it that country and that community that that you started being like, okay, this is something I actually want to devote some of my life to? That's a really good question. I, I think honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I think honestly, I. Look, people travel in different ways, right? Some people like to travel to go really see places and do things. And I travel for the people. Me too. I, I'm always saying travel to fewer places and spend more time there. I'm always telling people to do this. And that's totally what I've done. Like, actually, for the amount of time I've been traveling, I haven't really covered that much ground because I like to, I like to get to know a place. You know, like if I like a place in, in my travels, I usually end up staying there at least five weeks. Yeah, so, and, that, and that exact attitude is why you're now working with one of the coolest arts collectives in, in the Western Hemisphere. Right yeah, now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to make friends. I like to meet locals. I like yep. to get to see the place through the eyes of locals. I hate touristy crap. Ugh. Oh, I get really, really antsy and to unpleasant to be around as a tourist. No, being a tourist Ugh. sucks. Sucks. Yeah, and like you, everybody treats tourists the same. Every local looks at a tourist like, "Ugh, I do the same thing in New York." Like, get out of my way, move out of the subway line. <laughs> but anyways, I I think for whatever reason, when I got to Cuba, and like, God, this is honestly just the truth. I just, I just felt really strangely at home there. I felt really comfortable. I felt like yep. I. I can speak the language, you know, I had to learn a lot. Cubans speak a crazy Spanish, but you know, like I just, I feel comfortable here. Cuba's really safe. Mm-hmm. I don't feel scared at all. I feel like as a woman, you get a lot of male attention, but it's never aggressive or disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And Cuba is just fascinating. Nothing. Well, it's kind of a conservative culture. I mean, not necessarily yes, a, a horrible no. way. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. No. I, I don't mean conservative like Donald Trump. I'm just saying it's just kind of old school, like, 
manners, politeness. Well, like, yes and no. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of rules in Cuba, but that's come yeah. or from like this, the, the, the the government. You know what I mean? Like, but really- that's what. Oh, that's what I wanted to get to before was the fact that it's not only a dictatorship or was not only a dictatorship, whatever, and, and not only is it openly anti-American, but the people don't take it out on Americans. In fact, they're very welcome. I mean, you totally. know, no, I, you know, I, I had a bunch of friends in my class, Laura, study abroad there. I don't know how they pulled that off. They had a study abroad program during the Bush administration, but Smiley, Raquel, my friend yeah, Jake Hudson. Javier they, went there also, right? Javier, they were yeah. all there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they all said the same thing, how warm people were. Cubans are amazingly warm. They are amazingly warm. They're amazingly friendly. And, it's so you just e- ignore the fact that the government claims to hate America. You know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, but it's not a beef at this point today. It's yes, not a beef amongst course. the people. Right. You know, like I've never had, I actually had a bus driver in Cuba once, like very super jokingly being like, I don't like Americans, but he actually was just meaning men. And he was really just flirting on me, flirting with me in like the playful way that pretty much Cuban, Cubans like are professional flirts. I feel like that that's a very big way of getting around the country, which I can speak that language, so it doesn't bother me. It doesn't offend me. I'm okay speak with that. that Some people get listen. Like Cuban men are very. I thought Brazil was bad with like catcalling on the street. Oh, oh, Cubans put Brazilians to shame. Oh, really? They're like Italians. When I if I walk on the street alone by myself in Cuba, I I'd say on average ninety five percent of every man that I pass has to say something. Like, ay, precioso, ay, mami, que linda, ay, rami, vida. Like, they have to say something. But it's not rude. It's not aggressive. It's not disrespectful. It's just persistent. They're so, they just, they do it for sport almost. (laughs) But, you know, some people get a lot more annoyed by that than I do. I, I can deal with it. Yeah. When I was in Brazil, the women didn't complain excessively about that stuff. But again, we weren't in like any major metro area. So I right. don't know if that was representative. I was just going to add real quick. I, I thought Brazil of the, you know, 15 countries I've been to in the world or whatever was the most accepting of you, not just being an American, but openly an American. I mean, people just totally embraced us. And again, we were in the North, which is poor. It doesn't get right. as much tourism. So that might be part of it. But I never felt more welcoming at home than I did in Brazil. Sounds like Cuba was sort of a similar experience. Yeah, I mean, look, Cubans, I mean, tour, the tourist economy really helps them out a lot. You know what I mean? So, like, it's hard, it's easy to get hustled in Cuba. And I feel like tourist Cuba and what you see just as a tourist, if you don't have an opportunity to really penetrate into, like, real Cuban life, to make real friends, to see, you know, to to, to not just, you know have the kind of fake party friends that you'll meet out that will be like, oh, you're from America, how cool. But really, they're just trying to get you to, like, buy them drinks. You know what I mean? Right. And Cuba's definitely got a lot of that. But just, you know, like I said, like, I I, I was really lucky to be able to to make some actual real friends. And Cuba is so amazing. Cuba's an amazing place. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion that we'll have to pursue another time, whether the sort of overt sexism of like Mediterranean and Caribbean cultures versus the sort of intrinsic sexism of our country, which is worse. Right. They're just both bad. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. I mean, well, people aren't catcalling you here, but there's a lot of douchebags who would, you know, whatever. Right. Totally. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. So, 
here, here we're getting to where we want to go, which is you told me about this Cuban arts collective called uh, Guampara. We uh, immediately established that we had at least three or four people in common right. with this <laughs> entire thing. It's kind of complicated because it is a collective. It has been evolving and involves a lot of different people in media, you know, yeah. music and dancing and film and so forth. Um, you know, we, we, we heard you give this sort of quick shout out in the beginning, but here's where I want to lay it out for people who are intrigued, want to know more about this. Because, you know, just again, just to bring in a quick bit of personal biography, I really didn't know much about Cuba. And actually, the year I was in Israel, 2000, 2001, is when the Buena Vista Social Club documentary came out. Now, I was lucky I could read Hebrew because the subtitles in the theater were in Hebrew, not English. <laughs> Most of the people had no idea what was going on. Um, I loved it and I loved the music, but I quickly realized that there's a bunch of old guys and then I got to Wesleyan meeting actual people who lived in Cuba or being from Cuba and, you know, amazing hip hop and, and salsa and, you know, and electronic stuff and dance hall and all sorts of stuff going on. Um, but, you know, that's still like really, in, it's, it's like, I hate to make this comparison, but it's like Paul Simon with the Graceland project. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know who said they want to go to Africa or been to Africa, mostly inspired by Paul Simon's Graceland project. Yeah, like, but you okay. know what? That means it was super successful. Absolutely. And we met Lady Smith, Black Mombaza, and interviewed them. And wow. they, they sang the praises of Paul Simon. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't just exploiting them, you know. And the fact that they were able to do that during the apartheid era, it was just unbelievable. And in fact, I saw Lady Smith a week ago in Philadelphia with really? the younger generation. Oh, it nice. was amazing. Amazing. Um, it, and uh, anyways, point being... You're starting to get involved with the scene. When did you realize with, uh, uh, and again, we're going to have to do a few key terms here for the audience. Mm -hmm. So the man named Isnai, what's his, his full name? Isnai Rodriguez Agramonte. Okay. So Isnai is also DJ Higue. And if you want to find him online. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. No, if you want to find him online, Higue is, is spelled J-I-G-U-E. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him all over the place. So when did your connection start to become strong with this scene and you start to realize um, how amazing it was? And I want you also to talk about the Manana Festival. Is that what it's called? Manana. Manana Festival yeah. in Santiago? I just thought maybe the thing was missing on the... No, it the was... Manana. I know. Yeah. It was a, in retrospect, maybe not the best. <laughs> Manana is like some feeling of, you know... Uh, Gosh, I should know this, but they, they didn't do a very good job explaining this. Manana means something else in Cuban Spanish. Anyways. It's, it's a feeling um, of a positiveness? Yeah, it, I think it's, it has something to do with music, with, with like, you know, I think something how, like, when the band is just, like, really jamming and they really get it, that, like, feeling of... of is it the opposite of saudade? <laughs> maybe maybe somehow so yes <laughs> uh, and speaking of which just to, no, at the very end i want you to talk about your portugal trip uh, speaking of saudade right. but um so, so, uh, <laughs> so you have to pack for so you're at the manana festival in santiago de no, cuba it all, it all starts even before then to be honest oh even before um, that okay go this so uh, so i went back to cuba for the third time in november and december of last year 2005 and there's just a 15. lot of music stuff that happens at the end of the year and in, in, in in Cuba. There's a jazz festival in Havana. There's, there's just a lot of people, foreign artists, 
coming in, coming through, coming for events. So I, at that point now, am just, you know, good friends with, with, with the guys from Guampara, with Isnay and all of them. And really randomly, I, I have this lovely Turkish friend that lived, that, that was in Cuba at the time also. And she goes, oh, you know, I met a DJ tonight. Oh, uh, here earlier, we go. Earlier today. Yeah. Um, and he's from New York also. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, okay cool. Uh, what was his name? She goes, oh, he was the nicest guy. Blah, 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 blah. I can't remember his name. It was Nis something. And I just really ran. I go, Nicodemus? And she goes, oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. Boom. And I was Boom. like, what? You just met DJ Nicodemus, who I yes. knew, actually, because of you, Jesse. Uh, yeah. You and Modiba from the back in the days when, when this is like right after Wesley, and so it must have been, I don't know, 2008 or nine, doing the turntables on the Hudson um, parties at the frying pan in New York City. Do you remember, you remember those, obviously? Obviously, yeah. And I remember hearing Nicodemus' name, and just uh, I'd never met him, and I didn't know his music that well, but I very much knew what kind of music he was, and he's a big name. He's been like, you know, a professional DJ for over 10 years. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? You just met DJ Nicodemus? Can you introduce me? And she goes, oh, yeah. Okay, sure. She had no idea who he was or why I gave a shit. Yeah, no just idea. a real, real quick plug for for Nico, as he's called, DJ Nicodemus. He's one of the DJs in New York that, for the last ten plus years, is well known for a ton of different genres. Right, and like we love him because his global music stuff, global electronica stuff, is fucking fantastic. And he gets like Afro funk and Afro beat, and you know the Cuban shit and the Brazilian shit, all that stuff. But he can do a house party. He can do. I mean, he can really do any kind of party. And he's just the sweetest guy. You've got to check him out. Wonder wheel recordings he's got a whole bunch of stuff sorry go ahead yeah and he's an amazing human being he is amazing. such a kind-hearted like talk about a dude with like all, you know all of his intentions everything it's it's all in the right place and he's he just played so he played two launch parties for us the first feel farcatory album and then the remixed version which he killed a track on yeah played both launch parties for us at amazing clubs that we normally would have never gotten into without guys like him yeah so, no he's I'm such, so happy that you guys cross paths Nico is so fundamental in all of this happening just FYI so later that same night I end up running in I end up meeting Nico because Havana's small and everybody goes out to the same places anyways my sure. friend introduces us and Nico and I like totally you know we, we get along he's also um, you know spent time grew up in Queens and Brooklyn and New York okay so we vibe and I kind of keep telling him, I, I already shameless from day one, I was like, yo, I have a Cuban friend who's a DJ and a producer that like, I really think you would vibe with you guys, you, you know, you got to connect. And he, Nico was only going to be in Cuba for like, I don't know, three more days or four more days. And I just came with this, like, I don't care what it fucking takes. It would be a sin to humankind if I don't make these two human beings in, like cross paths in the same room together. I was just I so certain that they would vibe this. together. Um, they're doing this. similar kind of stuff. Nico Did really... Did he remember you, by the way? Who? Did Nico remember you? I'm sure you guys had met No, no, before. but I mentioned you guys and Modiba, and he was like, oh, okay. oh my God, yeah. And I was like, I explained yeah, to yeah. him how I fit into all of that. Okay. He's like, oh, wow. Cool. Um, so anyways, blah, blah, blah. A couple of days later, super, super just like the stars of the universe aligning run into Nico on the street in the middle of a very busy, crazy, hectic schedule. And I was like, Nico, I'm going over to East Nye's right house right now. Do you want to come? And he goes, yeah, okay, great. Let's go. <laughs> That's kind of how Nico is. Right, right, which you expect. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we go, I introduce the two of them and literally just sit back and like watch them kind of like fall in love. I just like watch magic happen and they play each other, each other's music and realize that they're both kind of like on a very similar wavelength. And I'm just feeling like mama bear, like so proud, like, yes, look at this beauty that just happened. And literally from that meeting, like they ended up being like, yo, let's work together. Let's do this. And Nico was all just like, I want to get involved and blah, blah, blah. And cool. Great. So I'm like, Nico will be in touch. And literally after that meeting with Nico, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, Jesse, this is a little side story that you of all Good. We love so sidebarring on the Bizzlecast. Go ahead. That later, a couple of nights later, Nico was playing at the, the Fabrica de Arte, which is the coolest venue in all of Cuba, let alone probably one of the coolest, coolest venues I've ever been to in life. Um, Nico was playing. It's this like um, half museum slash nightclub in Cuba, in Havana. And it's like, it's like a maze of museum. It's art and you walk around, but there's lots of little different bars and dance floors and you can like look at art while sipping your mojito and it's just so cool. Um, and Nico was playing there and had mentioned to me like, hey, I'd love to like, you know, have like, you know, any local musicians come up on stage and jam with me or whatever and whatnot. Mind you, I had just met Nico a couple of days prior. But he says that to me. So we go to all go to La Fabrica. He's playing. It's great. I'm there with Isnai. We're all supporting right. Nico. Yeah, the music's great. Right. And a Cuban friend comes up to me and, he, and we start chatting. And he goes, oh, I'm here with this musician named Macaco. Do you know him? I was like, what? Yeah, I know Macaco, which not a lot of people do. You put me on to him. And I was like, and he was like, yeah, do you want to come meet him? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go meet him. I don't know where these balls came from, by the way. So (laughs) in Spanish, I go up to Macaco, start chatting him up. Hey, what up? Cool. And eventually I introduce him to Isnai, who's also a big fan of him. They have a picture on Instagram. It's super cool. And then I start. I'm sure to, Nico would have known who it was. Yeah. Well, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> so I mentioned in the conversation, yeah, Nico, isn't he a great DJ? Blah, blah, blah. And Makako's like, oh, I'm a huge fan, man. Nico's oh, great, man. blah, blah, blah. And I, and I say to him, I was like, dude, why don't you get up there on stage and like sing with him? <sighs> he was just like, no, I couldn't, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 no. Wait, I like just spoke to Nico about this. He actually would love that. That like, that, that's what he wanted to do. He just didn't end up getting it right. together. I'm sure it'd be cool. If you're interested, give me one second. I'll go ask Nico right now and, get, and I'll let you know. So <laughs> I didn't want to run up on stage because Nico and I weren't that homies yet at that point. Sure. But I asked Nico's best friend. Um, I was like, yo, Makako is here. I'm sure Nico's going to want to know that information. He wants to perform. Go ask him if it's okay. So his friend runs up on stage. Nico's like, fuck yeah. And sends Makako up, who then ends up I, I, doing this amazing you know, performance. And I was just like, laughing at myself afterwards at the end of the night being like laura who are you like where did these balls to go up to macaco and be like yo you want to go get on stage with nico yeah you should totally do that hold on let me arrange that and i (laughs) kind of just started doing these things and and really took a moment to be like wow that's funny you're kind of good at that laura okay and a couple of days later, before I leave Cuba, Isai uh-huh. invites me over to dinner with the whole Guampara crew. And they, I, I realized later they kind of were like, you know, seducing me. They like cooked me dinner and then gave oh, me yes. rum. And then at the end, they were like, so mm-hmm. we want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, oh, fuck. Okay, what? And they're like, Laura, what are you doing in your life right now? <laughs> Literally, this is what Isai says to me. And at this point, it's a year into my traveling uh-huh. And I'm just like, honestly, it's not like I'm still, f- I'm trying to figure it out. Like 
I have a much clearer vision today than I did a year ago. Like I know I want to be involved in like music or the arts or something creative. I know that I need, you know, to have like a non-traditional like lifestyle, like not job. I'm not going to have a nine to five, but I, I said, honestly, I'm just waiting for an opportunity. I'm waiting for the right opportunity. I'm just going through life saying yes to the things that come along and just waiting for a good opportunity. And he kind of laughs and he looks at me and he's like, all right, well, I think you should work with us. What do you think about that? And I was like, okay, like super honored. Like, fuck yeah, I want to work with you guys. That would be so cool. And he was just like, great, let's just like start and let's just see what happens. So that, that one, um, the idea, it kind of started with like, okay, like let's take this idea of you helping us produce this short film that we want to make. Let's go more seriously with that. So I left Cuba with a whole like, okay, we're going to launch a Kickstarter campaign to get this short movie made, made which is going to, it's going to be a documentary about this, um, you know, tradition from Santiago that we're going to put out an accompanying soundtrack album. And this is my project. So I left Cuba being like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Fast forward, that's December 2015. Well, I might just jump in really quickly. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a unique position <laughs> to understand exactly how you were feeling while this was going on because, you know, I mean, you're lucky in that this happened later in your life and so you could handle it more maturely. But, you know, when me and my people started trying to put together our company before senior year, we lived between junior and senior year of the summer in Brooklyn and we're just literally recording and taping and interviewing Afrobeat bands all over the city the entire summer. And that's when it became possible, you know, and then we, we put a compilation together with them and that launched the company. But it, it's such a rush, not because you're even thinking of profiting off of it, but just right. because to be involved with this creative people, you know, who respect what you can contribute to this, you know, who, I mean, East and I just had a sense. Again, I've never met the guy and I've only heard about him recently, but he he seems to have had the sense about you, like she could be an important part of this family and project. Totally. And she's got the time and, and, and motivation and desire to be part of this project. Like, I really think that two of us, we, our paths crossed at a time that was, was very, it, it was, I, I say this a lot, but it's like just the stars of the universe aligning. Like, it was great timing for me and it was great timing for him. And we like found each other. Um, he's like a few years older than he's 35. He's going to okay. be 36 this year. Um, yeah, so that, that's how we started working together, honestly. And, awesome. and, I think exactly that he just they kind of saw me the way that that whole you know introducing him to Nico and 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 the way that whole whirlwind that happened around that I think they were really just standing back looking at me and being like look at this fucking girl (laughs) totally look at her go look at her go totally Um, I mean Nico saw that in us when we were younger I mean he's seen it he's supporting it he's 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 the perfect guy to know and all this and and we've established some other friends um, I want to give a shout out to my two buddies at that knowledge spelled like Nawa, but knowledge, Sean Dwyer and Canyon Cody, who I've been working with and just buddies with for many years and are also and, such yeah. exceptional human beings and super yes. talented. And I met them, I met them both at the Manana festival, which happened yep. now this past May in Cuba, which is when I went back to Cuba. Yep. Um, and that really started like, I mean, everything kind of snowballed really from there. Um, but yeah, I met all, I met all of those guys through Nico and they were all also performing at the Manana festival, which was, well, I have very mixed thoughts actually about the festival. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I, not generally speaking as a, as a festival goer, as somebody who was there to see the music and appreciate the music, it was so cool. And for those that, that, that don't know the Manana festival 
was funded mostly by a Kickstarter campaign. They raised over 150,000 um, pounds and had this idea of, it was a, a, a British guy, um, two British guys and a Cuban guy that, that are, you know, the founders of this festival. The idea was to mix the, like international electronic music with the Afro-Cuban folkloric music that's happening in Cuba. So it was to bring together artists from both of those genres and, and make a festival out of merging kind of those two together. So really great festival in theory. Um, I, I think the, uh, some of the beef that I have with the festival is in, in, in what, how it actually played out with some of the organizers, sure. maybe not being ent- entirely um, equipped, prepared or um, qualified to sure. um, be running a festival in a very complicated country where things don't work quite the same well, as maybe you would think they would? I mean, to be fair, Cuba is not very high up on the UN economic index. I mean, it's a poor country. Yeah, it's, it's really very poor. poor. It's very And poor. it may start making some more money now that the U.S. is opening up and that will lead to other opportunities potentially, mm. which is actually <laughs> there are people that were against the U.S. opening up to Cuba on both sides of the water, specifically – because it's you know going to become yet another extension of American economic imperialism. Maybe so, maybe not. Point being, when you we're at this festival, you know, I mean, Cuba's still poor, right? And I think Cuba, because it's been closed off only to America though for all these years. Like other, you know, Canadians have been going to Cuba since forever. But anyways, yeah. but because of its its it, the way that it's it's been positioned as this very you know untouchable place. I think Cuba, the, the fear that I have, and I thought about this a lot, um, I'm aware of my involvement in it. I feel like it's so easy right now. Cuba is in a very vulnerable place where it's so easy for people to just come in and appropriate and take advantage. And Okay, but this, this is where Biz of the Philosopher is going to come in. Please. I, I had a big problem with the whole cultural appropriation ideology at our college, Wesleyan. Yes, there are good ways and bad ways to be involved in a culture, and you can be exploiting or not exploiting. Right. What you are doing is not near exploitation. I mean, that was one of the complaints about the Buena Vista Social Club was that it was some sort of cultural exploitation. Right. Um, you know, this is not that. Um, if well, you ask people there, my guess is they would say, yes, we want to preserve our culture, but we also want to have opportunities that most global citizens have, right? I mean... Let me, let me give you... A- a small example of, of what I'm talking about specifically and what my sure. fear is with this. Yes. So for example, and I'm, I'm actually not going to mention names, but one of the bigger name DJs that was coming to play at the festival um, arrived a week early and actually recorded an entire album the week before the festival started. And I originally was thinking, you know, I, I'd heard that he, because some of, he was involving a lot of local musicians, local musicians to play a bunch of tracks. One of my friends who's an MC was, you know, involved on, um, recorded on a couple of the tracks. And this was like, I, I heard about this being like, wow, that's so cool. Look at that. He's really making an effort to like, you know, this is what the festival is about, you know, an international artist coming here and really, you know, collaborating with the Cubans. And I thought it was great until I found out afterwards from pretty reputable, I think, sources that like, mm-hmm. You know, he came and made this album that I'm going to go ahead and assume he's going to make money on, but he barely paid the Cuban musicians. And when you talk about Cuba being a 
poor country. Right. And this is, I'm sorry, this is the distinction I'm trying to make is that you should want to make money so that they can make money. Right. Because it's their product. Right. So but, if but you can support yourself, off of them coming in, like, you know, yeah, you you're just exploiting them. You're exploiting them. Correct. But this whole notion of appropriation, this sort of, you know, very just fluffy, you know, that, oh, we shouldn't be involved in other people's cultures so that we'd infect them with our capitalism or something, you know, is ridiculous. These people want to make money and get exposure. And if you can help them do that, that's why they want you on the team. You know what I mean? Right. But there's a big, my my point is that there's a big responsibility of doing that in a way that, in the right way. Yeah, I mean, my company lost money at many times in order to go beyond doing it the right way. Right. It, um, you know, and that's just something you, you have to do because right. you understand how complicated the issue is. Yeah. But I guess just for the listeners who haven't had experience in these sorts of countries, people do want to make more money than they have. It's not that they all want to be super rich, but they would like to have a little bit more money. Totally. Uh, you know, and so we need to be establishing positive partnerships and not exploitations, Absolutely. obviously. So sorry, uh, sorry, a little on my a little preachy there. I apologize. Go ahead. No, that's okay. It's important stuff to be said so okay so where is it now you know you're you're trying very hard to get this project to the united states so i guess i would ask if you could sort of break down the major components because yeah. people hear arts collective from cuba it's like okay that sounds amazing is it hip-hop is it so, dancing is it film like wh- what is this composed of so guampara productions is composed of two separate entities well they're very connected. I shouldn't call them separate entities. But one is Guampara Music, which is a music label under which there are five artists, um, all of which is they're different types of urban, as they call it, music. So one mm-hmm. is electronic. DJ Hiwe is more electronic. There's hip hop. There's dance hall. There's more like roots reggae. It's a little bit of everything. And then Guampara Films is their audiovisual component, which they make. They make a lot of their own music videos, and they make some really interesting documentary work. Um, And they've actually collaborated with an American filmmaker um, named Eli Jacobs um, from from Towsie. I always screw up the pronunciation of his last name, who works, um, who has a production company here in the U.S. called Clenched Fist and does amazing work. So basically, we've got music and documentary films that... um, is 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 what we're looking at here, and that's what's going on with Guampara right now. And Eli is the guy who did the Bacoso video, right? Bacoso, yeah. Bacoso, Eli, excuse me. Eli ba- Bacoso short film is a, is a is a collaboration between Guampara and Clenched Fist, and it's okay. so good. Awesome. Um, so. What what's the plan here? Like what like so, you know, with all of these people involved, how do you hone in on a few and be like, this is going to be at least the first kind of beachhead to the United States, if you know what I mean? You right. know what I mean? No, totally. There's there's yeah. so like you know there's five artists. Like I kind of joke. I'm like, what well, what does my life become right now? I'm managing all of a sudden five Cuban artists. Like Laura, who are you? <laughs> but the the, the <laughs> truth is that the 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 person who's at the head of it all, who's we're focusing on our efforts on right now, is DJ Higue, who is sure. Isnai, who's the the mastermind really behind all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that played actually at the Manana Festival in Santiago, which got a, he got a lot of press from that. Um, and we've kind of been, you know, his career has been the one that's been taking off first so far. Let's just say. Um, so I've been really, he was actually here in New York a couple weekends ago at the Afro Latino Festival in Brooklyn, which mm. was super exciting and was great success. And 
Uh, it was really exciting having Higue here in New York for a week. I, we, we, you know, really just was able to like rally all of my team, my friends, my family. And we were able to get into the studio. My, my good friend Linus is a recording engineer. We were able to master. What's that? I said, shut up. I love Linus. Sorry. I I, I like Linus. Linus is the best. Sorry. I thought you said shut up. And I was like, Ooh, no, 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 no. What's his studio called? Do you know offhand? Brick house. Um, brick house house studio. House like German house. I mean, people out there, if you're in New York, you want to record, this guy's been doing it for like, since he's been in college, maybe earlier. Yeah. Fucking is amazing. No, he's great. And he's got a great setup. And he was just so down. I I told him, I was like, dude, Higue has three tracks that we want to, you know, for his new EP, but they're not mastered. And he's like, no problem. Give me them. And we went to the studio. Yeah. He just just knocked that shit out. (laughs) God, I've just been having just... So, so cool. I've just been seeing so many of my friends like rallying around and supporting in every way like possible. And it's just, it's really beautiful. Yeah. So. Okay. So I, I'm actually watching part of the Bacoso trailer right now. Yeah. Just like literally I just hit play because yeah. I, I have so many questions. I want to focus it. So it's like more tangible to people. Okay. So you said you're working with five artists. But I'm watching this. I'm seeing musicians, DJs, dancers. Like there's tons of people involved. Now there's a drum troupe. This looks like a maraca tool drum. Yeah. And this is something yep. else I want to okay. talk about is how this is very Afro-Cuban. And, you know, and that's why I think I related so much to Northern Brazil being Afro-Brazilian because my experience had been in Africa. Right. So I could really connect to it. And, and I'm watching this with my sister who lived in South Africa a while. And she's like, I know you told me this was Cuba, but this could, could literally be South Africa. Totally. Uh, so go, uh, you can jump in on any of those yeah, topics. Well, well, so so all of the guys that consist of Guampara, they're all from Santiago. Uh, um, Santiago, which I hear is amazing. My, my one of my best friends, Andreas, who's half Cuban, as you know, raves about Santiago. Has been there a bunch of times. Right. Well, so I've spent most of my time in Havana. That's where all the, the like Isai and all of them live in Havana now. But they're all from Santiago. But yep. the two cities are very different. Santiago right. is no. It, Santiago would be like exactly the equivalent of the northeast of brazil it's the blacker part of cuba it's the part cubans refer to it as the most caribbean part of the island it has a lot Mm. it's closer to jamaica and haiti it has a very different cultural feel than havana Mm. which looks much more towards the u.s and europe you know if you look at like you know the music that's popular in havana is reggaeton which is totally from that's from miami you know what i mean so havana is much more american european santiago is much more caribbean um and this 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 short movie, this short um, uh, film that you're talking about, Bacoso, is an example of um, a, a, the the current day transculturation, as they call it, that's happening currently between African between Africa and Cuba. Like a lot of times when you when you talk about places, okay, the Santiago, the Cuba, you said, oh yeah, it has a lot of African influence. A lot of times people think like, oh yeah, from the days of slavery, from way back when, blah blah. blah. This short wants to show how no it's not just that there's african influence in cuba that happened you know way back in the days from slavery it's still happening right now today what's happening is that you get you have medical students who come from western africa a lot from angola from mozambique and they come to cuba to study medicine and bring west african pop music with them they bring nigerian pop you know they bring they bring their rhythms and once those rhythms get to cuba they transform and it's created a new genre of music that's a total example of current day Africa meets current day Cuba. And it's called Bacoso. And it's so hot. It's amazing. The music is so much fun. It's, it, it, it's, it, you're right. It, 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 
I don't think that you would hear it and be like, oh, that's definitely Cuban because there's so much going on. You hear the African influence, you hear the Caribbean, you hear the Cuban, and it's just this beautiful fusion of, of cultures. Yeah, I think, um, you know, now that Cuba, you know, is more open and we're more open to them, they should look to Brazil as the example of how to move forward where, you know, their music and their culture is still so central, even while opening up to hip hop and reggae and rap and, you know, that sort of stuff. I mean, you know... like in the video, there's some amazing dancing from young people that, that looks African-y, but I had never seen anything specifically like that before. Like it's their own thing. Yeah. Um, it's a and, lot of influence uh, like from Kuduro that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's all very related. Um, yeah. So, so you're working on bringing them to the United States. What is your kind of dream scenario? Well, I'm working on bringing my dream scenario. Let me paint yes. it. This is my, 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 my pretty picture. Paint a picture. I'm would love to get artist visas for all, all of the artists in Guampara, but right now focusing at least on two of them, which would be DJ Hiwe and Cameroon, who's an amazing MC. Um, and he actually just won. He's a recipient of the, of the One Beat grant, which is this really cool um, organization that works in conjunction with the State Department to bring musicians from all over the world to the U.S. to collaborate together and you know have this opportunity to meet people from other places, make music together, and it's very community focused on you know how, how what can you bring back now from this experience to your community. So I'd love to get the two of them here to be able to perform in the U.S. I think that the U.S. you know I've seen. In Cuba, I've seen Isnai present his work, both his music and the mm-hmm. short films that he made that he makes to so many foreigners, not just Americans, people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And everybody's response to it is is the same. Everybody is like, holy fuck, that is so cool. I want to see more. I want to get involved. Like it's just the work speaks for itself. So I, I just I want to get him the opportunity to be able to play shows here in New York, to perform here in, sorry, in the U.S., not just New York, it, to be able to perform and play shows and show these short films that, that, that he's made, um, you know, with, with this other filmmaker, Eli, because they're so interesting. Like, one of the things that I love and respect most about Isnai is, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's smart as fuck. He's extremely eloquent and he's extremely intelligent and hearing him explain, you know, these hidden facets of of Cuban music life that we don't know about, you know, these rhythms that he's like, oh yeah, this is this old tradition or this is how, what people used to call. And he finds this old, this, this stuff that people don't know about. And his whole goal is how can I make this into music that not only that, that, that people, everybody included foreigners, Cubans alike will actually want to listen to. Like he's so focused on staying connected to his roots, but, but turning it in a way that, that it's relevant now. And, and he's just a mastermind at it. That's amazing. I mean, you know, (laughs) you could have easily sold me on this project just yourself, (laughs) but the fact that Nicodemus and my boy Canyon Cody and his boy, Sean Dwyer, all been raving about this. In fact, Dwyer and Cody both told me that, that you know that that Igwe and, and the whole project was the best part of the entire festival by far, oh, um, or their or their favorite part is what they told me. Um, and I trust them implicitly. You know, th- as you know, I love 
uh, the period of Islamic Spain, but especially, you know, southern Spain, Andalusia, with flamenco and the Arabic influences. And I've studied there, I studied religion you know, about there, and, and, you know, and they did an incredible project in Granada about all this old music that's led to Spanish music today. And now they're involved in Cuba. So you're definitely talking and meeting with the right people. Definitely. Oh, I have no yeah. doubt. And um, so, okay, so what is, well, I don't know if you necessarily need to lay out a timetable here, um, but what, you know, you're about to go to Portugal for a month, and then what's sort of the next step with this whole project? And, and, and we will definitely be keeping people posted um, on the Bizzlecast, various Bizzlecast social media and so forth. So uh, give, us, give us a sense of what to expect over the next, I don't know, six to 12 months. Is that fair? Okay. What would I like to see in the next six to 12 months? The idea yes. that we're trying to get together is to do yep. a tour, to go around mm-hmm. and, you know, simultaneously present with, have Isnai and Eli present the six short films that they've worked on together. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously. Be Which able- are related to the music, I assume. Yeah, they're all, yeah. all of the films have to do with some aspect or another of the music and they're all very different. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, to have him present his short films and then also do a DJ tour, you know, not only in universities, although, I mean, you know, I obviously have this vision of, of Higue playing a party at Wesleyan, which just ugh, makes my heart burst with excitement. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty confident, Laura, that we can get Igwe shows in all the major and mid-level cities in the country. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's not going to be a problem. The, so, the, the rural universities could work too but in terms of the major cities I, I i feel having been out of the business for a while but still in touch with some of these people and in touch with you i think that could definitely happen and people right. would fucking love it go right. ahead no i just feel like a, 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 you everybody that i've seen hear this music or you know watch the films it, it's you know it's good it people are into it people are really into it so my goal is to just try and you know get people it out on there Cuba and you're gonna give it to them exactly and it's just it's such an authentic and like yep. well curated Cuba like it's it's just so well done it's so well done and I, I just think that you know, there's so many people that don't even know that they want to know about this yet. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's like getting cultural tourism without having to leave the country. And exactly. Then if you want more, then you leave the country now. You can. The ga- oh, this is what we should finish on. And then I want you to plug the sites. Okay. Um, is, the, is the gates opening, right? The gates are open. The doors open. You can fly to Cuba. There are flights. I mean, is, is this an immediate game changer for Cuba, in your opinion, spending time there? Or, or is it going to be a while before the major reverberations are felt? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. But, but mm-hmm. yeah, change is happening quickly. Like, yep. look, do I think that, you know, there's going to be a McDonald's and Starbucks in, in Cuba within a year? Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. No fucking way. Oh, really? You say no. Okay. No fucking way. It's not going to change that quickly. But yeah. literally within... In the year that I've been going to Cuba already, I can I can point out drastic differences, numerous ones from the one year ago when I when I went. You know, like now you go. If you went to Cuba two years ago, Wi-Fi was really not accessible. Hotels had Wi-Fi, and that was pretty much it. When I arrived for the first time in July of 2015 in Cuba, they had just opened up. With, like, I think with about two months earlier started having a couple of parks around the city that were now Wi-Fi spots. They were hot spots. Mm. And that was super new. Mm. And there were only a couple of them. And now you go back and there are Wi-Fi parks. I don't want to say everywhere, but there are many of them. Many, many more. And this just happened in a year. 
And I those mean, it, Wi-Fi parks, yeah. that's the different that that literally means that now Cubans look, they're not spending a lot of time on the internet, but it is so much oh, yeah. easier for them right now to access internet than it was one year they ago. They totally and that it. will change things. Yeah. Totally. And help with democracy at some point in the future, hopefully. Yeah. You know, it is possible, though. I mean, Spain, you know, which is very much a first world country, at least on paper, you know, and Sevilla, there's like only one Starbucks that I ever ran across. And it was small and not particularly noticeable and not God important. Bless. Part. People just don't go there. I mean, only Americans go there. Yeah. You can you can get Cafe Con Leche's twenty places in a one block radius. You know, yeah. like why when I can pay one euro for a Cafe Con Leche, why the hell would I go to Starbucks? You know, and uh, actually, to be fair, Philadelphia doesn't even have that many Starbucks. Really? I mean, there's there's so some, about but New York. it's absurd. Well, I know. Well, it's tough. Manhattan especially yeah. is tough because of the tourist industry. You know, we're we're starting to get more of the tourist industry, so probably that means more Starbucks. Definitely. But um, but Cuba can do it, you know. I, I just hope that they it's not an overflow, you know, and sort of as you're saying, it like sort of happens sl- more slowly in the way that they want it to happen, yeah. opening and, up. And ultimately, I think if you speak to most Cubans, they'll say that, you know, increased tourism and, and, and having, you know, better relationships with, with the U.S. is good for them, you know. Like, look, tourists bring a lot of opportunities for them. Also, like another thing that's crazy, the amount of new businesses that, that I've seen open up, like, you know, Look, granted, a lot of them are probably still government businesses, government-owned businesses, and that's all complicated. Everything in Cuba is complicated, but like things are changing, and you know, a lot of people are saying, like, oh, for example, I've heard so many people be like, oh, you know, as things change, like, you know, Cuba's going to lose all of its charm, and you know, those yeah. old fifties cars—they're going to be replaced. Yeah. Look, the truth is, are those cars? cool and they're kind of like you know woo, they're weird and there's something to see but like uh, in the interest of cubans like yo they're yes. driving cars that are you know <gasps> 60 years old that barely work that if you close the door too hard a window will shatter that are yeah. uncomfortable that aren't safe that have so much smog and you know like i mean cubans i could be wrong uh, th- there are whole industries down there about repairing old cars totally. from, from what I've heard because okay. it, it, no, they're not getting new ones. So you got to figure out it's like an, if you go to any like poor African area, they can, you know, fix a car with some duct tape and a rubber band, essentially. You 100%. know what I mean? Because that, they're not getting another one. That's what humans and it, are notorious yeah. for, that inventiveness, yeah. that creativeness of just Which resourcefulness. Because, it, yeah, when you yeah. don't have shit, you make the shit you have work. You know who's happy about the current situation? It's Nye and the entire collective. That's who's happy. Yeah. This is going to make all of your lives a million times. I mean, this might not have even been possible a year ago, right? Totally. And look, for example, like, you know, one of the the movies that they're they're working on, you know, I I had mentioned earlier that I explained to Nye, like, oh, like, we could maybe raise money to do this on, on a Kickstarter campaign, crowdfunding. And Number one, they had no idea what that was. You know, like you need to understand that the internet is literally new to most Cubans. Like it's something that they have in the last couple of years learned how to use. It's new. And not only that, like even if Isnai had known about Kickstarter, you know, by nature of him being Cuban, he, he can't run his own campaign. I mean, it would be impossible with, you need more internet connection than he could ever have in Cuba anyways. But like, yeah. that's something that makes me feel like, oh, this is great. This is where I can use my, you know, uh, nationality, you know, is going to come and help to, is going to come use, is going to be useful to be able to help you on this project. Cause I can start a Kickstarter campaign, you know? Absolutely. And perhaps you will. 
we were we we're definitely going to keep following this. So this has been awesome, Lara. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for being interested in what I want to talk your head off about. I mean, come on, you know I'd be interested. That's, that's true. That's true. That's <laughs> I'm still I'm still a world music nerd, even though I'm out of the industry. If anything, I'm more of a world music nerd being not in the industry. Right. <laughs> that was part of why I left. I was like, oh, this is becoming a job. Oh. Um, yeah, but uh, but it was a great job, and you're doing you're doing amazing work. This is gonna happen. You have good people helping you. Totally. Um, so, I definitely do. So just 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 uh, you know shout out like two or three either websites or social media stuff that people should should check out to learn more about DJ Igwe and the uh, Guampara uh, Music Collective. Um, the main social media outlets that we're using right now are Facebook and Instagram, and those are definitely the best ways. So on Facebook, if you search Guampara Productions, G U A M P A R A, um, you'll find links to DJ Higwe's page. Um, from there and then also I'm sure you, you can find links from there to the Instagram so they are Instagram we have two one for Guampara is just called Guampara and DJ Higue has his own Instagram which is DJ dot J-I-G-U-E awesome well uh, it was great having you on and we wish you a great trip to Portugal that should be amazing um, anything else you want to say to the Bizzlecast listeners? No, thank you just thank you for lending me your ears and listening and I'm super happy to get to share this with all of you guys <laughs>